Thank you very much and greetings uh, to everyone. Uh, in keeping with our tradition, I will now bow to my right and bow to my left. Um, and having done so, I request delegates to observe a moment of silence uh, for prayer and meditation. Thank you. Uh, allow me to remind delegates uh, uh, that the rules and, and processes uh, apply. So honorable delegates, before we proceed, I would like to remind you of the, the following, that the virtual sitting constitutes a sitting of the National Council of Provinces, that the place of the sitting is deemed to be Cape Town, uh, where the seat of the National Council of Provinces is, that delegates in the virtual sitting enjoy the same powers and privileges that apply in the sitting of the National Council of Provinces, that for the purpose of the quorum, all delegates who are logged on to the virtual platform shall be considered present, uh, that delegates must always switch on their videos, that delegates should ensure that the microphones on their gadgets are muted and must always remain muted unless uh, you, have, you have permission to, to speak. Uh, that the interpretation facility is, is active and that any delegate who wishes to speak must use the raise your hand uh, uh, function. Um, honorable delegates, uh, we shall now proceed to uh, notices uh, of, 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 of motion uh, and any delegates wishes to have uh, to give a notice of a motion of, of, of a motion should raise use the, the, the raise your hand uh, function. Um, Honorable Ocam. We will start with Honorable uh, Okam. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Uh, Honorable Chairperson, I hereby move on behalf of the Democratic Alliance that this House notes with concern the alleged failure. Sorry, I'll be busy with notices of motion or motions without notice. And notice of, of a motion. No, sorry, Honorable Chairperson. Mine is a motion without notice. I will wait for the next round then. Sorry. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Honorable Mabato. Uh, <clears throat> thank you, Chairperson of the Council. I rise on behalf of the Economic Freedom Fighters that in its next sitting, the Council debates the, the rising COVID-19 cases, particularly at the level of the schools, and also resolve on the closure of schools Resolve on COVID-19 vaccines increase. Thank you. Thank you very much. Any other notice of a motion? Chairperson, I've raised my hand, but I see <clears throat> it may not be working. Okay. Honorable Dango. Uh, 
chairperson, I hereby move on behalf of the African National Congress that I shall in the next sitting move that one notes the continued airstrikes carried out by the apartheid Israeli government on the people of Palestine in Gaza. Further notes that these attacks are carried out in keeping with the apartheid agenda of usurping Palestinian land and denying them, the Palestinian people, their basic human rights. Appreciates that the continued attacks on the Palestinian people all round has caused havoc on, on the lives of, the, of many innocent Palestinians, particularly women and children. I thank you very much. Thank you very much, Honorable Dango. Uh, Honorable Bartlett. Sorry, Che. Yes, okay. Yes. Sorry, no, yeah. okay. No, thank you very much. We will now move on to motions without motion. Bartlett is Honorable Bartlett. I'm, I'm on. She's speaking. Can you hear me? speaking. Okay, Bartlett. Can you hear me, Chair? Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay. Chair, I hereby move on behalf of the African National Congress that uh, in the next sitting of the council, I'll say move that the council one notes and debates irregular expenditure of municipalities, which is standing. It's a staggering 26 billion in the 2019-2020 financial year. Two, further notes that irregular expenditure was incurred in 246 of the 278 municipalities across South Africa. And three, acknowledges that irregular expenditure remains a key indicator factor of the dire and grim state of municipal financial health in South Africa. I so move, Honorable Chair. Uh, thank you, Honorable Butler. Uh, Dodovu, Honorable Chair. Can I'm I not sure whether it is still. I'm raising my hand. Notice of motion. Please note that uh, uh, if you want to move a, a motion without notice, you must wait. Uh, but however, if you want to move uh, uh, a, a notice uh, uh, of, 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 of a motion, uh, Yes, we can go ahead. Yes, it's Dodovu chair. But sometimes we confuse the two motions and it leads to problems and it delays progress in the house. Yes. Honorable Dodovu. Thank you, Chairperson. Chairperson, I hereby give notice that in the next sitting of the council, I shall move that the council debate the politicization of municipalities in South Africa. Further notices that many municipalities across the country have plunged into administrative crisis due to the politicization of municipal administration, with many of them left in the management of unqualified and unskilled administrative officials who remain in office because of political patronage. So I move. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Dodovu. Uh, Honorable Kenny Mutsamai. 
Honorable Kenny Mutsamai. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, on behalf of the EFF, there is a school of death in Ikuruleni, Gauteng province, where our children, disabled children, are mistreated. I did, I would like the next sitting, the parliament must, the parliament must make a motion and intervene on behalf of the school of a Kurulen disabled school where our children are being sleeping on a single bed, two of them on a single bed at a Kurulen. I so move. Thank you very much, Honorable Zamai. Honorable Man Lakai. Honorable Kai. Chairperson, I'm in the waiting list uh, for the motions without notice. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, Honorable Lansman. Thank you, Chair. Is it Manda or me? It's you. It's uh, Lansman. Thank you, Chair. I, I have a move that in the next setting of the council, I shall have moved that the council notes the debates of higher rate and of unemployment in South Africa of youth. Future notes that according to the quarterly labor force survey, youth unemployment under the expanded definition is tending at a staggering 74.7, which means only one in four school leavers are under the age of 24 or under the HF a job in South Africa. One, three, acknowledge that South Africa needs urgent and decisive interventions to address youth unemployment in order to address the country's social ills, including the persistent high rate of generational poverty, especially amongst Black youth and Africans in particular. I so move. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Honorable Lansman. Uh, Honorable Nsube. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson of the Council. I hereby move that in the next sitting of the Council, I shall move that the Council notes and debates International Youth Day which is the day designated by the, by the United Nations to be celebrated every year on the 12th of August in the recognition of the resolutions of United Nations General Assembly on the recommendations by United, on the recommendations by World Conference of Ministers Responsible for Youth, which was held in Lisbon from the 8th to 12th August 1998. Further notes that International Youth Day which is commemorated every year on the 12th of August, is intended to raise awareness of the World Programs of Actions for Youth that was adopted by United Nations General Assembly in 1995 and acknowledges that despite numerous commitments and interventions to address the challenges facing young people around the globe, many of them are still facing bleak future of poverty, unemployment, lack of education opportunities, economic exclusion, substance abuse, crime and violence, I saw moves. Thank you very much, Honorable Nsube. Honorable Zandamela. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, right on behalf of the EFF, the House, the NCT, the State of uh, You're not audible, Honorable Zandamela. Try again and just position yourself properly and take it easy. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yes, it's still a bit of a problem, still a bit of a problem. Try again, just position yourself properly and try and speak a bit slower. Thank you, Chair. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Thanks, Chairperson. Arise on behalf of EFF that the house in the next city the state of water and sanitation in municipalities. Thank you. I saw now, thank you very much. Uh, yeah. That marks the end of the uh, notices of motion. We'll now move on to motions without notice. Uh, uh, are, are there any uh, motions yes. without notice? Let's start with yes. uh, Kenny Mutama. Yes, yes. Can you come my first? No, Chair. We have been we are raising hands. hands here, Kenny. Chair, can I? We're raising hands here on the on board here, on the screen. Okay. Yeah, I have a screen in front of me. The first name is Munsamai. So I want to know if, if it's an old hand. You uh, never lower this hand. Sorry? I think he never lowered his hand. I never lowered his hand. Can I have the table to please lower hands that were, 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 were raised a long time ago and that are of no relevance now? Honorable uh, Kai? Uh, thank you very much, Honorable uh, uh, Chepesi. Please proceed. Okay. On, on behalf of the African National Congress, I hereby move without notice uh, that this house knows that the Eastern Cape School principal was arrested for allegedly forcing a child to retrieve his mobile phone from a pit toilet has been fired. Further notes that the Provincial Education Department has confirmed that Tulututu Junior Secondary School principal, Lobeko Mgandela, has been sacked following a disciplinary hearing also knows that the dismissal came three months after he was placed on suspension to allow the department to investigate the incident. Therefore, commends the provincial department for a swift and effective action in defense of human rights of the child and hope this will act as a deterrent for all educators in our school. I so move. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Uh, Honorable uh, Chair, uh, Chair. Sorry? Honorable National Chair. Yeah. I don't think you had exhausted the notices of motion. I believe that the Chief Whip had uh, raised his hand to to uh, speak on the notices of motion. Um, it, it is on the motion without notice, Honorable Kenny. Thanks. Thanks. Okay. Yes, yeah. my name is there. That's why uh, we. Uh, <laughs> That's why I'm being called. Thank you, Chairperson. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, I'm I can't get the chance. You <laughs> called me twice. Oh, I'm not too bad to avail, Baba. You always speak, but uh, please don't do what we're what, what trying to do now. Uh, okay, but we're now uh, looking at uh, the 
um, motions without 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 notice. Um, uh, the the first name was that of of, of High, um, and 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 there being no no objection, uh, the motion is agreed to in terms of section sixty five of the of the of the constitution. Uh, Honourable Ogham. Thank you, Honourable Chair. Honourable Chair, if you will allow me, I would like to make two motions without notice. If you no, will no, 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 no. No, one motion at a time. One motion, one person. Thank you, Honourable Chair. I will do one motion then. Honourable yeah. Chairperson, yeah. Chairperson, I hereby move on behalf of the Democratic Alliance that this House notes with concern the alleged failure by the Gamagara local municipality in the Northern Cape to deliver basic services such as the provision of water as contained in Chapter 2 of the Constitution of the Republic of South Africa of 1996 to the residents of Olifantshoek. Further notes that water tanks that have been placed in Olifantshoek as a temporary solution to alleviate the effects of the water crisis are not being filled by the, specific, by the specified municipality on a regular basis. Acknowledges that no schools or clinics in Olifantshoek receive enough water to maintain basic sanitation practices such as the washing of hands. Further recognizes that the roads in Olifantshoek are in a state of disrepair with little to no maintenance being done, which further hampers the delivery of water. We recall that the DA has on numerous occasions called on this municipality to fulfill its obligation towards the delivery of water and other basic services to the people of Olifantshoek to no avail. Further recognizes that should the specified municipality not remedy the water crisis in Olifantshoek as a matter of utmost urgency, it will not only be the quality of life of the residents of Olifantshoek that are being jeopardized, it will also be the lives of its residents that will be in jeopardy. Calls on the Northern Cape member of the executive responsible for corporate governance, human settlements and traditional affairs, Mr. Ben Tivas, to urgently intervene to assist the specified municipality to provide basic services, especially water, to the Olifant community. I so move. Thank you very much, Honorable Okam. Objection, uh, sir. Uh, there being an objection, <laughs> uh, the motion may not be proceeded with and will be, become a notice of a, of a motion. Honorable uh, Bears. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Um, Am I audible? Yes, you are audible. Thank you very much, Chair. I hereby move on behalf of the Democratic Alliance that this House notes the decision by the uh, European Commission to include Roy Boss or Red Bush in the register uh, protected uh, designated of origin and protected geographical indications. Uh, recogni uh, recognizes that rooibos can only be cultivated in certain areas of the Western Cape and the Northern Cape. Um, and that uh, the European Commission uh, inclusion of rooibos as a protected designation assists to preserve uh, the rooibos industry's heritage and creates job security for uh, the 8,000 uh, persons currently employed in this industry and will ensure that more job opportunities are created. Acknowledges that the journey to get rooibos des uh, designated as a protected designation of origin started in the 
90s. And that the, the recent uh, inclusion by the uh, European Commission is a great victory as Roibos is first South Arab nation. Congratulates the relevant departments and entities, the officials and employees, and all the other role players in the industry on this momentous occasion and great achievement. I so move. Thank you, thank you very much, Honorable Bears. Um, there being no objection, the motion is agreed to in terms of section 65 of the Constitution. Uh, next is Honorable Shaikh. Honorable Shaikh. Thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable Shepherson. Um, I hereby move on behalf of the African National Congress that this House notes that the average number of new COVID-19 infections reported each day in South Africa rises by more than 7,700 over the last three weeks. Further notes that COVID-19 infections in South Africa are reported to be increasing with 11,786 new infections on average each day, which is the highest daily average reported since January 11. Welcomed reports that our government is engaged in negotiations to secure the Sputnik V and Sinovac COVID-19 vaccines from Russia and China respectively. And Honorable Chair, we implore the people of South Africa to exercise extra care and observe COVID-19 regulations and not let fatigue lower our guard. I so move. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable Shaikh. Yes. Uh, there being no objection, the motion is agreed to in terms of section 65 of the, of the Constitution. Uh, Honorable Christian. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. Um, I'm going to leave my video off due to signal. Please um, okay, thank you. On behalf of the Democratic Alliance, I hereby, I hereby move without notice that this council notes that the Northern Cape Department of Environment and the Green Scorpions have finally taken complaints by the DA regarding the massive, massive sewage dam on the R31 just outside of Kimberley seriously. Recently, a motor vehicle ended up in the sewage dam. Fortunately, there were no fatalities. In response to this disaster, I personally notarized an affidavit regarding the sewage spill, which the Green Scorpions have indicated they will use to corroborate the case when laying criminal charges against Sorplighty Municipality for failing to properly manage the Hoha pump station. Notes that while decisive action is eventually being taken against Sorplighty Municipality for the R31 sewage spill, that there are other intolerable sewage spills in and around Kimberley that they are also wreaking havoc on the lives of residents and that demand and intervention from a higher level. A number of households living in White City, Ruadapan, in Kimberley have had to leave their sewage flooded homes and temporarily relocate to Riverton Resort outside of Kimberley. 26 families have been affected and have been living at the resort for months because of Sorplaiki's failure to address the sewage challenges. In effect, these families have had to leave their properties unattended and at the mercy of thieves and vandals. Many of the relocated residents also do not have transport and now face the added challenge of having to get themselves and their children to work and school in Kimberley without further assistance from this municipality. 
Furthermore, calls on this council to recognize that Saul Plaiki municipality remains in a state of decline, unable to address the growing number of challenges being experienced by residents. Further noting that the residents of Kimberley will be without water again this coming weekend for four to five days as a result of the failing piping infrastructure. And urgently then calls on the Minister of Water and Sanitation to intervene and lend support to Slopliki municipality to find permanent solutions in getting the ailing sewage and piping infrastructure up and running again. I so move. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much. Um, Objection, sir. Yes. Objection. Objection. There being an objection, the motion may not be proceeded with and will become a, a notice of, yes, a, of the motion. Uh, thank you very much. Honorable Mohai. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Really? I hereby move without notice that the council knows with utmost concern and apprehension the continued trade embargo of the United States of America against Cuba. Two, further knows that the US trade embargo against Cuba, which is the most enduring trade embargo in the modern history, prevents American businesses and businesses with commercial activities in the United States from conducting trade with Cuban interest joins the rest of the global parliaments and legislatures around the world to call on United States and make a clarion call on President Joe Biden and his government to repeal the infamous helmets Patern Act, which was conceived to perpetuate the US government's hostility against Cuba and impose a colonial tutelage mechanism on the Cuban nation and punish, threaten, and intimidate persons, organizations, and governments, Cuba, and freely develop their economic and commercial links with the island. And lastly, as the United States legislature to establish a communication channel with Cuba that may favor exchange and collaboration in areas of mutual bilateral interest. I so move, Chair. Thank you. Thank you, Chief Whip. Uh, uh, there being no objection, the motion is agreed to Objection, Honorable Chairperson. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Now that there's an objection, the motion will not be proceeded with and will become a notice of a motion. Uh, thank you. This thank is you exactly very what is disgraceful, Honorable Abustaf, and I thought you'll comment the same way. Honorable BB. We can take this debate later on, Chief Whip, if you, if you are objecting. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. People's lives are at stake. It is Powerful, Chief Whip. Powerful. Thank you, Chairperson. Honorable Bibi. I hereby move without notice on behalf of the African National Congress that this house notes that parts of the Charlotte Matrega Hospital in the city of Johannesburg was ravaged by fire on the 16th April 2021. And further notes that fire coincide with Gauden's rapid rise in COVID-19 infections and affects government's uh, preparedness for the third wave. 
we welcome the work done by the Gauden government to restore the hospital back to full operation. And also we applaud our government uh, to work even harder to prioritize the health and general well-being of Gauden people during this trying times. Lastly, we also applaud frontline workers in Gauteng who have been in the forefront of fighting the pandemic in the province despite all challenges. I so move, Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable B. There being yeah, no yeah. Section, the motion is agreed to in terms of section 65 of the constitution. Um, we now move on to Honorable Detroit. Thank you, Honorable Chair. On behalf of the Freedom Front Plus, I hereby move without notice that the House notes that it's of the utmost importance that a financial forensic audit be conducted in the JB Marks Municipality in the Northwest Province as soon as possible. I so move. Honorable Detroit, yes. Uh, there being no objection, uh, the motion is agreed to in terms of uh, Section 65 of the Constitution. Uh, the next uh, uh, motion comes from Honorable Muima. Honorable Muima. Thank you, thank you, uh, National Chair. Uh, I hereby move without notice on behalf of the mighty African National Congress that this house, one knows that the former ESCOM board chairman and businessman Jabu Mabuza passed away due to COVID-19 related complications on earlier this week, Wednesday, the 16th of June. Bella knows that the South African businessmen served on several national and international companies for various uh, capacities and industries. Three also knows that Mabuza currently served as Sun International Limited Chairman and non-executive director on the board of Multi-Choice Group. Therefore, sends, the House sends our deepest condolences to his family and friends at this time of bereavement, I so move on behalf of the African National Congress. Thank you, National Chair. Thank you very much. There being no objection, the motion is agreed to in terms of Section 65 of the Constitution. Uh, next speaker is Honorable Mukause. Mabato Mukause. Thank you, uh, Chairperson of the Council. Chairperson, I move. On, on, I rise on behalf of the economic freedom fighters that the council notes the lack of telecommunication systems at police stations, particularly- Chair, on a point of order. Yeah, point, point of order, Chair. Yes, what's the point of order? Honorable members- point of order is- Reflect um, political uh, yeah. um, EFF, uh, memorabilia at the back of her screen. If she could just remove that, please. Yes, Honorable Mabato, you know what the rules are. Definitely. Uh, so let's not do what you're doing. Please remove the background. Thank you very much. Chairperson, um, we are not in a fighting mood. It's just that I'm out of my meeting uh, 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 just a few minutes ago. So they don't have to howl at me like that. I'm an EFF member, by the way. I write on behalf of the EFF that the council notes the lack of telecommunication. Why are you howling at me like that? What is the problem? 
You must accept that you were wrong. Honorable members, order. I'm not going to accept anything yet. Please allow the member to continue. Telecommunication system at the police station, particularly Mutibistat, Sineng, and the surrounding areas in the Northern Cape province. Further note that this type of shortage hampers on police service delivery in the area. We call on SABS to look into capacitating all police stations in the area to accelerate crime prevention in the Northern Cape province by so move. Thank you very much. There being, there being no objection, the motion is agreed to in terms of section 65 of the constitution. Thank you very much, uh, honorable members. Uh, we will now proceed to consideration of the of, of follow-up oversight report of ad hoc committee inquiring into section 100 intervention of the constitution in the Northwest province. Uh, the report is dated the 18th of, of June, 2021. 20, uh, otherwise, uh, just in case uh, one overlook, overlooks a, a point or two, let's welcome everybody who's part of this uh, important uh, uh, report uh, being delivered uh, and, and, and part of the deliberations. And I'll call on Honorable TSC Kotobu to open the debate and present the committee report. Honorable Kotobu. Chairperson of the NCOP, Honorable Amos Masondo. Honorable Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs, Dr. Nkosazana Dlamini Zuma, and your Deputy Honorable Obed Bapela the Chief Whip of the NCOP, permanent and special delegates, representatives of SALGA, ladies and gentlemen. In a very unprecedented way, three years ago in May 2018, the National Executive led by President Ramaphosa invoked Section 100 of our Constitution by placing the Northwest provincial government in its entirety under administration. In terms of the provisions of section 101 of the constitution, when a national government places a provincial government under administration, it means in its considered view, the provincial government is incapable or incapacitated to fulfill its executive obligations in terms of the constitution or any other legislation, and therefore it issues a directive or it assumes the responsibility for such obligations. Honorable Chairperson, interventions in their nature are drastic. There are tough measures taken against another sphere of government. In the case under review, an intervention was a measure of last resort taken by the national government when it became apparent 
that despite the support given to the Northwest province, the governance crisis persisted unabatedly. According to the diagnostic report of the national government, when it intervened in Northwest in 2018, violent labor unrest and community protests had paralyzed services and that they had destroyed life and property. The health system had collapsed to an extent that the military health service of the SNDF had to come in to assist. Schooling had been disrupted and children were kept out of schools for long. The audit results of the Auditor General were showing a year-on-year decline for four consecutive years. Serious allegations of corruption, misappropriation of funds, and other acts of financial malfeasances were reaching alarming proportions. In addition, Honorable Chairperson, in 2018, there was non-compliance with supply chain processes with persistent lack of consequence management for transgressions and the ever-increasing unauthorized, irregular, fruitless and wasteful expenditures. At the time, the provincial government had systematically outsourced service delivery by irregularly appointing the project management units involving hundreds of millions of rands, especially in the departments of human settlements, health, agriculture, and public works. In most of the municipalities in the Northwest, the municipal services were in the state of collapse and the municipalities were unable to render basic services such as water and electricity while roads were in terrible conditions. Prior to placing the Northwest under administration, President Ramaphosa did appoint an interministerial task team to conduct extensive engagements with stakeholders. After the cabinet took a decision to intervene in the Northwest, it deployed the assessment teams to conduct rapid diagnostic analysis of all provincial departments. It was on those basis, honorable chair, that cabinet intervened in 10 departments, five under section 101B with administrators deployed to run the departments while five other departments were issued with ministerial directives in terms of section 101A of the constitution. In this regard, the president appointed an interministerial task team under the leadership of Minister Dr. Dlamene Zuma to be accountable to the cabinet and to regularly report to the NCOP. To give effect to the implementation of the intervention, a memorandum of understanding together with the implementation protocols were signed with the province to provide a framework for governance during the intervention. It is our committee's view, honorable chair, that the national executive complied with the constitution fully by giving the NCOP a written notice of intervention within the prescribed period of 14 days. Accordingly, the NCOP has also complied in terms of section 102.C 
by setting up an ad hoc committee in order for it to regularly review the intervention and to make appropriate recommendations to the national executive. In discharging its mandate on behalf of this house, the ad hoc committee interacted with a variety of stakeholders. This include the IMTT itself, National Treasury and Auditor General. It also met with all the law enforcement agencies, which include the National Prosecuting Authority, the Directorate of Priority Crime Investigation, the Hawks, the Special Investigating Unit, as well as the Independent Police Investigative Directorate. In addition, Honorable Chair, the committee undertook an oversight visit to the Northwest in March this year, where it interacted with the Premier and his Executive Council, the Standing Committee on Public Accounts, Labor Unions, traditional leaders, the religious fraternity, and other community stakeholders that like the Madibu-Hopan Community Forum. During our oversight visit itself, we went to the Dr. Kenneth Kaunda and Nakamunirimulema districts, where schools, hospitals, social development centers, the road and bridge projects, and the local airport were visited. There was, this was done to follow up on the work of our predecessor committee, which visited the same institutions in 2018. Based on its work, Honorable Chair, since it was established, the ad hoc committee makes the following observations about the intervention in the Northwest. Interventions are not quick fixes, but need time to sustain the corrective measures put in place by the administrators, especially in provinces where the volume and magnitude of the crisis is bigger, like in the Northwest. Lack of the early warning systems to detect problems lead to the escalation of such problems which ultimately necessitate interventions. Most senior positions in the Northwest have been filled, especially the, D, the Director General and other HODs, while other senior positions are in the process of being filled. Slow progress we note in finalizing and enabling legislation to guide section 100 and section 139 interventions, resulting in vagueness on the role of administrators and thereby causing reliance on memorandum of understandings and implementation protocols. There is a need for the spirit of cooperative governance, intergovernmental and interdepartmental relations for sustainability beyond the intervention. Lack of cooperation, teamwork, and coordination among all structures and role players to ensure effective implementation of the intervention. Slow progress is being registered, we note, by the law enforcement agencies in investigating, prosecuting, and arresting persons who have allegedly been involved in acts of corruption. The NPA, we note, was dealing with 51 cases regarding the Section 100 intervention. 13 of these cases are already in courts. Six are waiting for NPA decisions. 17 still under investigation. 15 have been finalized 
and only two cases were being enrolled. Most of the functions we note, which were previously centralized in the office of the premier, have been transferred back to their departments and most of the irregular project management units and outsourcing have been terminated. The Department of Tourism has been discontinued and all tourism functions are transferred to the Department of Economic Development, Environment and Conservation. The instability in the Northwest province with regard to the Human Settlement Department caused by poor service delivery, underspending of funds, regression of audit opinions and PMU might have serious negative consequences on service delivery if there is no intervention. We also observe the budgetary constraints, accruals and baselines, especially in the Department of Health, and this remain a risk of serv to service delivery. Whilst noting some audit improvements, Honorable Chairperson, we express concerns around the cost escalations, including irregular expenditure in infrastructure projects, and this can open an opportunity for corruption and looting of state resources if not addressed immediately. The instability of municipalities in the Northwest continues to undermine service delivery and social coercion in the province. Having done a proper assessment of, on the work of the IMTT chairperson and the engagement with the stakeholders and oversight visits in respect of the intervention by the national executive in the Northwest province, the ad hoc committee recommends the following. That great progress has been registered by IMTT in the intervention, such as the audit report improvement, the capacity building for service delivery, the filling of key management positions, investment in infrastructure and improved systems. That the intervention in terms of section 100 of the constitution in the Northwest should continue until the national executive undertake a review process. That the IMTT should continue to disclose to, to closely monitor the implementation of directives to ensure achievement of outstanding priorities in the Section 100B departments, that the challenges in the Department of Human Settlements be addressed urgently, that the national executive must monitor the performance of the Northwest and to institute early warning information systems to detect problems before they escalate into deeper crises that the departments are fully capacitated at senior levels with qualified and experienced personnel and that skills transfer must happen so that administration leaves a stable senior management leadership in place. That the Department of Public Works attends to the accommodation needs of departments, especially of social development. Alternatively, the IMTT should look into dissolution of function of property management from public works back to other departments as, long, as a long-term solution to the current problem. That the Minister of Transport, together with the MEC of Transport Management in the province, should urgently resolve the issues around inability to promptly respond to the transport needs of the Department of Health, including the procurement and maintenance of the EMS fleet. 
that the law enforcement agencies address issues of capacity, integrity, and allegations of corruptions in their own ranks, where it is alleged that some criminal cases are not fully investigated or are being withdrawn without valid reasons and whistleblowers and witnesses not being protected. That progress in all criminal cases be opened with the hawks and SIU be urgently considered by the NPA, particularly those that are subject to Section 100 intervention, and that they and, and that as such they must quarterly report to the NCOP for close monitoring. That all the role players engage one another in good faith and work together in a common view of restoring good governance and accountability culture in the Northwest. That proper sustainable internal control measures, fraud prevention systems, monitoring and evaluation, audits and independent audit committees be put in place. That consequence management be enforced in all incidents of unauthorized, irregular and fruitless expenditure with possible abuse in the system of SM, SCM be kept in order to avoid corruption, fraud and improper conduct. That planning, proper planning in all infrastructure projects, especially those implemented by the Department of Public Works and Roads, be made to ensure deviations are kept at minimum level to avoid cost escalations. That any outstanding or pending disciplinary cases of officials alleged to have been involved in the financial misconduct and maladministration be expedited. That adequate resources be allocated to the Department of Education to address the much needed social infrastructure maintenance backlogs and security issues in the schools. That adequate resources are allocated by the Department of Health to address the much needed hospital infrastructure maintenance backlogs, including kitchen equipment, mutuary equipment, laundry services, and other general hospital infrastructure in the Northwest. That there is continuous and that there must be continuous engagement with labor unions uh, and, and, and communities with a view of maintaining labor peace and stability that will contribute to improved service delivery. That the ultimate exit strategy should address the change management imperatives, such as skills transfer, address capacity challenges and capabilities of the Northwest government to function effectively, strong performance monitoring, establishment of independent governance, as well as accountability structures and institutionalizing new standard operation operating procedures. That this exit strategy should take into account that a successful intervention provides for adequate period of transition to ensure stability during the post-intervention period. That the IMTT submit an exit strategy to the NCOP prior to withdrawing the intervention. This will allow the NCOP to make its own assessment on whether the strategy addresses all the systemic issues raised in the committee report that all the role players, including the NCOP, government, civil servants, and other state structures should contribute in helping the Northwest province to stabilize. It is vitally important, honorable chairperson, that political parties especially are stable 
and function effectively to play their role too. The participation of civil society also needs to be strengthened and contribute more to ensuring that the province is brought back to normality and function effectively. That lastly, the process be expedited for the promulgation of the legislation which regulate intervention in terms of section 100 and section 139 of the constitution. It is the considered view of this committee, honorable chairperson, that progress and sufficient progress has been registered in bringing about stability in the Northwest province. However, the magnitude of the outstanding challenges will still persist. The committee is of the view that continuous and regular monitoring of intervention as required by section 100.2.C of the constitution must be made until intervention is ended. Once the intervention is ended, the NCLB should ensure that parliamentary sector committees of this NCOP obtain, obtain this report to follow up on the set recommendations made by the Outward Committee inquiring into the Northwest Section 100, 100 intervention. With that, we want to heartily thank all the participants, all the role players, including the staff of this, of this legislature to help us to arrive at this point that we are able to present the report before you, Honorable Chairperson. And therefore, we wish to thank everybody who assisted the ATOP committee in the performance of its work. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Honorable Jovo. Uh, we will now again take the opportunity to welcome the, the Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs, uh, Honorable Damini Zuma, uh, to, to, the, to, the, to the debate uh, and engagement uh, uh, in this NCOP city. Honorable uh, Damini Zuma. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson of the National Council of Provinces, Honorable Masondo. Deputy Chairperson of the NCOP, Honorable Lucas, Chairperson of the Select Committee on Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs, Honorable Dodovu, Deputy Minister for Corporate Governance and Traditional Affairs, Honorable Mapela, members of the Select Committee, Honorable members, members of the provincial executives here present, representatives of the South African Governance Association here present, and let me thank you for the opportunity to participate in this debate and provide context to the report of the ad hoc committee on the Northwest on the section 100 intervention. Of course, the debate occurs under very difficult circumstances because of the COVID pandemic, which has engulfed the entire world including us. We pose to pay tribute to the brave frontline workers who have placed their lives on the line to save our lives and livelihoods and also our condolences to those who have lost loved ones during this period, including the family of Jabu Mabuza who passed away recently. Of course, this debate also occurs 
during the mourning period, which was occasioned by the sad passing of the father of the Zambian nation, Dr. Kenneth Kaunda. We wish to extend our condolences to his family, to the people of Zambia and the continent, as well as residents of the KK Kaunda District Municipality in the Northwest. Our national flag flies at half mast as a reminder that our freedom was not free. It was amongst others, President KK Kaunda, the people of Zambia, the frontline states, the continent, and the progressive world who paid for our freedom, some even paid in blood. Uh, trade deficits and economic underdevelopment. Siabonga, Babu Kaunda, Asante Sane, Ziko. And we know that the son of the African soil, the world statesman, the defender of democracy, and promoter of the African unity, is now joining the galaxy of other leaders who have contributed to the freedom of our continent. Honorable members, President Kaunda's brand of humanism, which is like Ujama philosophy of uh, President Nyarere, dictates that we build a caring society and a caring government. Such a government must preoccupy itself with the health, welfare, protection, livelihoods, and the development of its people. This is the primary reason for the existence of a developmental state. A developmental state must hold truism in both content and form. From the content perspective, the developmental state is compelled to marshal all society behind a common goal along a path towards a common vision of a better life for all. And from the form perspective, the state is a, should be appropriately capacitated to fulfill its mandate and vision. The ANC has never been ambiguous about the vision. Our vision entails a better quality life for all without regard to race, gender, or ethnicity. The path towards this is inscribed by our forebearers in the Freedom Charter amongst many instrumental resolutions, strategies, and documents. And also in our last conference, where we said and recalled, uh, I quote, developmental state that provides effective basic services and with capabilities to, to take forward a far-reaching agenda of national economic development, whilst at the same time placing people and their involvement at the center of this process through schools. Of course, our constitution also uh, implores us to be developmental. So honorable members, our intervention in the Northwest was motivated by the pursuit of chosen developmental agenda. The internal and exogenous reasons for our intervention are well known. And I think the chairperson has also 
uh, reminded us. So I won't go into that. The situation which had been festering in the Northwest is also well documented, with labor and civil unrest being the key triggers. Because these issues had built up over some time, the intervention cannot be a sprint, but rather is a marathon. It requires appropriate pacing and capacitation. So our race is not yet over. Service delivery remains of concern, especially at local government, with key areas such as access to water, sanitation, water treatment plants, street lighting, um, and also some potholes, and also lack of maintenance. Although there's been improvement in the audit outcomes, much more still needs to be done to, pro to promote transparent governance and accountability. Honorable members will recall that we placed five departments under direct control of the national ministers in terms of section 101B. This included also the office of the premier. Uh, other five departments, including COCTA, were placed under 101A, meaning that the province still ran those departments and the national only gave directives. Um, in COCTA, it was unfortunate that we did not have continuity and stability in that department in terms of the leadership. You will recall that we've had three MECs in three years in that department, uh, which oversees the municipalities. This would have, so the continuity would have enabled uh, us to respond better uh, at local government. It would have also enabled continuity and mobilization of the necessary capacities and capabilities. Nonetheless, we're gradually reducing uh, the combined uh, annual irregular expenditure uh, in, in the departments. <clears throat> so far, we've reduced it by 47% from 4.2 billion to 2.2 billion. And we must also recall that some of them are legacy. They are not new uh, irregular expenditure. Um, so our target is to bring it as close to zero as possible. Honorable members, since our people largely experience governance services at a local level, uh, it's clear that we must assist the, the provincial government to pay more attention to local government uh, so that our people can experience better 
service delivery. Consequently, we have recorded progress with regard to at least stabilizing the administrative leadership at the provincial sphere. We're working with, with, the, with the MEC and the provincial government because it is important and paramount uh, to have the three spheres of government, as the chairperson has been saying, working well together in order to improve the service delivery. But let me also say that we have also ensured that the five departments uh, that were put under 1P do have substantive um, head of department, like the Department of Health, uh, Agriculture, Rural Development. Uh, they have new heads of department, the Department of um, the, the, the Department of Public Works has had its um, head of department uh, dismissed after a disciplinary session. Now we are advertising that post. So by the time we leave the, the province, we want to make sure that there's stability at least at that level of government. And of course, we've also uh, filled other posts uh, and at the premier's office as well. There's a new head of department there. There have been dismissal of the health head of department, including public works, but, and there are also 28 officials who have either been dismissed or sanctioned for inappropriate actions and or decisions. This is to just ensure that there's consequence management because one of the things that we found, we've learned is that there had been lack of consequence management. And so to instill that, that's what uh, the intervention has done. But of course, we know that that is not enough. Where crimes have been committed, we must prosecute. And where public funds were misused and misappropriated, we must recover them. In this regard, the National Prosecuting Authority, together with Directorate for Priority Crimes, investigation is pursuing 51 criminal cases thus far. The asset for feature unit is also busy at work. And so far they are pursuing cases which will amount to about 2.3 billion. No doubt these efforts will be complemented by the efforts of the special investigating unit, which has been enabled by the seven presidential proclamations including the March 21 one, which will investigate the happenings at the Department of Public Works. Honorable members, our intervention has also taught us a lot. And it has taught us that a central lesson is that all political parties must play their part, especially at local government level because 
where there is instability in the council, it leads to problems in governance because the oversight becomes poor. Where there are divisions, there is no proper oversight, impacts don't work. The financial uh, management gets interfered with. And also, if there is inappropriate interface between council and the administration, then you find that um, there are problems. And if there's interference, you find that the posts are not being filled on time or are not filled appropriately. And so it's very important that political parties also play their part because all these things lead up to poor service delivery and our people in the process then suffer. That's one lesson that we've learned very harshly in the Northwest. Other key lessons are that also, if there is no proper economic activities, if the LEDs in municipalities are not, are not working properly, and generally the economic activity is low, it means that there will be problems in local government because people will be unemployed, they will not pay their services, and, gov and local government will not be able to raise their funds. But also, people will then want to interfere with local government because it might be the only source of employment or source of business. So it's very important that we promote um, local economic development. So as to, as a part of fighting hunger, underdevelopment and inequality, but also as a part of fighting instability in local government and also corruption at local government. So this is a lesson we've also learned. And of course, we think that the issue of all the three spheres working together becomes even more important as we see in the, in the lessons we're learning in Northwest. And we realized that it was important that we uh, decided to work in a different way now as government, that the, all three spheres should be working together including business, because we need to crowd in investments both from public sector and from private sector so that we can ensure that there is proper development in the municipalities. We've also learned that if we don't sort out problems like it's about in the Northwest, where administratively uh, it was difficult to sort out the problems when political problems were not sorted out. So now it has led to disinvestment of a big company there, which is a, a very big concern. Clover has announced that it's leaving because of the 
Yes, uh, let's try again and just ensure that the, uh, the minister remains uh, audible. And there's a bit of a problem there. Uh, at the table as well to assist. Uh, please proceed, Minister. Uh, we'll try and get the minister back. Just a bit more patience. I was kicked out. I'm back. Thanks. Please proceed, Minister. Okay. Um, though, let me see where I ended. I was saying that um, we, we, we have also learned in the Northwest how important it is to work in a cohesive manner for all the three spheres. But not only the three spheres, but also to work with business and to ensure that the investments that are already there stay and those that are still coming and be attracted. So this is a, 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 an, an important lesson that we've learned in Hadway as well in the Northwest. Uh, Chairperson, let me also say that we have scored victories. What I'm saying does not mean that we have not been able to achieve. But of course, we, we, we have achieved in the, in, mainly in the province, but I was stressing that now the IMTT has recognized that we have to have a, a concerted effort to assist the Department of Culture to deal with the issues of the municipalities. I'm grateful to the MTT members and to the MEC and, and, and those that have cooperated. We are now, we have now put a rapid response team, uh, which consists of a number of governments. COCTA will be represented by MISA. Uh, water, uh, environment will also be coming on board. The roads will be coming on board. BSA is coming on board to try and assist the municipalities. And we also want to just say that though the, the PMUs in the in the provinces were in the province were dismantled, it doesn't mean that PMUs per se are a problem. PMUs can be a very good way of, of facilitating service delivery where there is no capacity, but they have to be, we have to make sure that they are contracted properly and that they spend the money 
properly. But it may be that uh, we, we might have to use them where necessary because of lack of capacity for delivering services. But going forward, we also agree with the chairperson that we must tighten the legislation and regulatory environment as it pertains to section 100 and, and also section 139 interventions. Paying attention to roles and responsibilities to the various spheres and components of government. These interventions must also uh, be able to have enough resources because we've also learned that we can't only rely on the resources that exist in the province when we do these interventions. So it's very important that the funding models to avoid the financial reliance on the departments and municipalities, the intervention is targeting. The slow pace in finalizing disciplinary and criminal cases also confirms Indeed, the road ahead is, has still got many proverbial potholes. We must learn that the program uh, will be terminated at some stage as soon as the executive decides. But it must not be a big bang departure from the province. Even as those departments withdraw their administrators, we must make sure that they still keep a very close eye on those departments so that the gains are not reversed. So we may have to continue giving directives to the departments until we are sure that there will be no reversals. As you conclude, uh, Minister. Yes, uh, I'm just about to conclude. Uh, thank you very much. And I want to thank all the people who have cooperated with us in this intervention and continue to cooperate, but also the ad hoc select, the ad hoc select committee that we are working with. I want to thank the chair and all its members. Thank you very much, chair. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Minister. No way. We will now move on to the next speaker, Honorable uh, C. Fesser. Honorable Fesser. Thank you, Minister. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson, Honorable Minister. Thank you. Thank you. Honorable Fesser, we are not audible. Thank you. Honorable Chairperson, Honorable Minister and Honorable Deputy Minister, Honorable Members and all South Africans. At the sitting of this House on 24 November 2020, the Democratic Alliance tabled a motion without notice, unopposed, about the Section 100 intervention in the Northwest Province, evoked in May 2018 by the National Government. The motion stated that no significant change could be noted for the period and that the failure of administrators to regularly report on progress contributed to the poor state of governance that left us all in the dark about the true state of the Northwest. The fact that the tabling of progress reports has not been standard procedure is alarming and casts doubt on the efficiency of this intervention. 
The process that will follow towards the invocation of this intervention should also be reviewed. This includes questions on the legality of the sixth administration inheriting the intervention of the fifth administration. The manner in the way the national intervention has been conducted thus far is not conducive to the improvement of service delivery or any other constitutional obligation towards citizens. Section 42.4 of the Constitution states that the National Council of Provinces represents the provinces and ensure that, that provincial interests are taken into account in the national sphere of government. It does this mainly by participating in the national legislative process and by providing a national forum for public consideration of issues affecting provinces. The constitutional role of the NCOP is to provide an effective bridge between provinces and the national government and to contribute to the realization of the constitutional commitments to cooperative and effective government. The said section 100 A and B interventions into the 10 departments of the Northwest Provincial Government was indeed needed and long before it happened. The signs of collapse should have been acted upon proactively before the total collapse of, of not only the provincial government, but also preventing the total collapse of all Northwest municipalities, all road infrastructures, school, clinics, safety and security, and even the law enforcement agencies. In fact, all that is government in Northwest collapsed. The national executive should have intervened much earlier by taking appropriate steps to realign the Northwest provincial government ensuring the fulfillment of their constitutional obligations, assuming responsibility for the relevant obligations to the extent necessary to maintain essential national standards, to meet established minimum standards for the rendering of services, and to maintain economic unity and national security. During this time, fraud, corruption and were provided with opportune circumstances to, to widen their footprint all over the, the Northwest, nurtured in every government department. This created and nurtured climate was conducive to develop criminal and corrupt syndicates, gangs and gangsterism, looting of tax money, infiltration into and inflating tenders in all spheres of governance in Northwest. The Democratic Alliance takes cognizance of the importance of a viable exit of the Section 100 inter intervention to ensure the Northwest Provincial Government is functionally restored and capacitated to their mandates of good governance and delivery of services to its people. 70 million Rand was already wasted on accommodation and security on this intervention without reaching the set objective within three years. We appreciate the investigations and prosecution procedures on 51 cases of fraud and corrupt activities involving millions of brands, and trust that the investigation will reveal cases that appeared in the media since 2014. The focus of the NCOP in this situation should be, was the memorandum of understanding between the IMT, IMTT and the Premier completely honoured? Did intervention meet most, if not all, of the terms of reference as well as the recommendations from the ad hoc committee of the House. Further than that, this House should realize that this intervention cannot be extended indefinitely. This House should acknowledge that the IMTT was appointed by the Honorable President Ramaphosa with directions and outcomes. Honorable Chairperson, 
what was the direct involvement and contributions of the IMTT ministers in their oversight roles and responsibilities to identify, resolve, and contribute to the betterment of the situation, or did their HODs determine their views? Currently, the question begs to be answered is who is doing what? We have the minister, the IMTT, the administrators, the NS NCOP ad hoc committee in their monitoring and investigative role, the local MECs, the premier, also supported by HODs, DGs, chief directors, support staff, and content advisors. Presentation upon presentation were prepared and presented, and more extensive reports written and submitted. What we need is implementation and action delivered to the outcomes. However, the substantive report of the ad hoc committee suggests the extension of the intervention. The Democratic Alliance is of the view that the extension of the intervention keeps those responsible and accountable in the ICU on crutches and dysfunctional. That the extension of the intervention cannot continue in the current format. There must be a set of deliverables and the NCOP must be involved in the setting of the key performance areas and indicators to determine the measurables and the budgeting thereof. Governance on all levels should be restored to levels of checks and balances, accountability, consequence management, applicable to every individual in all spheres of government and the eradication of the systemic fraud and corruption within all government structures. Therefore, the DA is of the view that the intervention in the current format is not effective and therefore call for a new format to ensure that this intervention restores the con constitutional obligations of the Northwest Provincial Government to deliver effective services for the betterment of all that live and work in Northwest. The communities of New Northwest deserve a provincial government and local governments to serve them, to develop their communities, and to ensure political stability and be governed according to their constitutional mandates, complying to the Bill of Rights of every citizen of Northwest. Citizens and communities are currently kept hostage and deprived of services they are obliged to receive, while some pay for services they never receive. Of paramount importance is that the Northwest Provincial Government being restored to function in the constitutional obligated role to ensure viable leadership, sound administration, and a capable state. Factional infighting within all ANC structures in Northwest contributed to further instability at all levels of governance, causing the total collapse and destruction of municipalities and the malfunctioning of the provincial administration. I want to close with a quote from William Cobet that said, good government is known from bad government by this infallible test that under the former, the laboring people are well fed and well clothed and under the latter, they are badly fed and badly clothed. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Professor. The next speaker is Honorable M.K. Muima. Uh, thank you, uh, National Chair. Uh, uh, let me also uh, rise on behalf of the ANC to support the, the report as tabled by the, by the other committee chair, Honorable Dudovu. Indeed, uh, <clears throat> to understand the, 
the context of the report, Chair. Uh, allow me to quote what uh, uh, the, the late father of the National Democratic Revolution said, Honorable uh, uh, Dati Sulu said that uh, every organization engaged in a national democratic revolution constantly has to isolate and search for solution crucial both to his continued existence and to the success of the revolution as a whole. In a certain sense, the story of our national democratic revolution is a story of problems arising and problems overcome. This is what he said in one of his writings in 1976. Chair, I think the report established by the chair clearly articulates the challenges uh, that we are faced with in, in the province of Northwest. But of course, what the report also record remind us of what uh, the General Secretary of the Communist Party of China said when he said that history is the best textbook. History faithfully records every country's journey and also gives inspiration for future development. The lessons learned from uh, this chair is that uh, the sixth administration will be able to uh, use the, the report as a basis to avoid uh, the pitfalls and the potholes as alluded to in the report. Indeed, Honorable Chair, the uh, triumph of the democratic forces in 1994 was without doubt indeed a milestone in the transformation of the South African society. And definitely it articulates that, uh, the type of state that we want. And we have said in uh, 2007 that uh, as the ANC, we are committed to uh, building a capable and developmental state. And therefore, it becomes important that uh, the challenges that we are faced with in the province must be articulated against uh, what we want as a developmental state. Indeed, our understanding of a paradigm of a developmental state is located in the spirit as articulated in the Constitution and in the vision laid out on the National Development Plan. Indeed, it's a state uh, with the technical capacity, it's a state at the center of it. Uh, focusing on a socio-economic transformation. It's a state with the professionalized public services. These characteristics chair are issues that we had to juxtapose what was happening in the province, uh, which necessarily uh, uh, forced us to say, indeed, there is an intervention to ensure that uh, socio-economic challenges are addressed. Uh, we had to intervene to ensure that indeed, uh, capacity that uh, uh, was seems to be an issue is addressed. Indeed, of course, we can't uh, run away from the fact that uh, uh, some of the provinces were built out of uh, the legacy of Pakistan. And we all understand that what was inherent in the, those Pakistan and homelands was uh, an inheritance of socio-economic uh, problems like lack of water, a lack of proper human settlement, no electrification, and generally a lack of other socioeconomic infrastructure. So therefore, this provincial government was confronted with those legacies chair. It is important also to uh, also uh, indicate that uh, there are peculiar issues that had to be uh, taken into account, but uh, uh, as reflected in the uh, 2019 General Household Survey, uh, to be able to understand uh, the uh, issues that are isolated in this 600 intervention. 
this uh, general household survey tracked the progress of development and identified persistent service delivery gaps over a period of 18 years and contained information across a wide variety of issues, such as service delivery, uh, education, and economic development. On the provision of access to clean water, uh, for example, it pointed out that the percentage of households with improved source of water increased by less than 4 percent uh, percentage points between 2002 and 2019. The increases were mostly notable in the Eastern Cape and KwaZulu Natal. Despite this notable improvement, access to water actually declined in five provinces between 2002 and 2019. The Northwest is among those provinces where, in such areas as Madibane, there continues to be water supply challenges. The report also uh, draws attention to the fact that approximately one quarter uh, of household consisted of a single person, while three uh, had fewer than four members. The Northwest has the highest incident of single person household, uh, and uh, uh, while uh, households uh, which contain more than six members were most common in Kazakhstan and Bumalanga. This must highlight that the dynamics of service delivery differs across provinces, and it is the responsibility of provincial and local government to tackle these challenges. The central point, uh, Honorable National Chair, is from the General Committee Service that while there has been great strides making service delivery over the years, there are instances where other provinces lag behind and there is a need for intervention. This intervention is meant to raise the standard of service delivery to bring them in line with the minimum national standard. It is in this context that we must understand the Section 100 intervention in the Northwest. The reports highlight, as correctly pointed out, that there are instances where service delivery had collapsed or has not met satisfactory standard as reflected in the report from the interministerial task team, which was also tabled before this house by the national chair. Again, also the report uh, uh, highlighted the issue of inadequate human resource capacity. The challenges that were faced uh, uh, and reflected by the AGES report in terms of uh, critical vacancies such as chief financial officers and senior management roles uh, is an issue that was also conf- uh, reflected in the report. Also, the 2020 local government week also reflected on the challenges, including instances where uh, the uh, uh, appointment somehow were compromised. We must be deliberate about building a capable human resource as part of our commitment to building a capable and developmental state with professionalized public services. This must be done in order to ensure that we are capable to respond to the demands and complex realities of service delivery. Uh, Honorable National Chair, the, the Audit General 2019 uh, 20 also uh, reflects that uh, there are issues around general capacity for proper financial management and internal audit. So it's a matter that definitely uh, is also reflected in the report, but we are also calling upon the sixth administration leadership to deal with these issues, but also to mitigate the, 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 the use of overpriced financial consult- consultant when it comes to audit, uh, because uh, there is no uh, in-house uh, uh, capacity that is built by this consultant. Honorable uh, National Chair, service delivery does not only improve the quality of life for our people, but it's also public investment by the developmental state. So therefore it is important that uh, uh, as our commitment to building a developmental state, that the provincial government must also attract investment in the province and create value chains in most local, in order to build local economies. It's important that uh, we also 
uh, emphasize the issue of localization, which is very critical in ensuring sustainable and inclusive local economic growth, as uh, the uh, minister has indicated. The state at the local government level has not taken up optimally the developmental role of providing support for SMEs. The reality is that uh, most municipalities still don't procure local goods and services from local producers. And this compromises not only job creation, but the creation of local value chains and sustained economic activity. The buying power of the state at the local level should be used to stimulate local demand. And maybe that uh, Honorable Twaile will also be taking part. He'll be able to respond to the issue of creating value chains and also creating a system of innovation where there is a flow of technology and information within local SMEs with external players using a local economic development as an integral part of a pillar of local government system. The report touches on key milestones which have been achieved since the intervention, and this is something that is very encouraging and indicates that indeed the province is, is being set on the correct path where we will restore good governance and socioeconomic growth. The intervention has come a long way and the sense of instability that we saw in 2018 where there was political turmoil in the street of Northwest. We must commend the IMTT and the ARO committee for the sterling role that it has played in terms of bringing stability to the provincial government and also under the stewardship of the provincial administration. We also want to commend the committee and the IMTT for engaging with labor and communities around the Northwest and listening to their grievances. These are important components of the stakeholders that must continuously be engaged and ensure that they move along with the process in sync. We want to plead that this culture of engagement must be inculcated and deepened in the province as it appears to have been making before this intervention. I thank you, Honorable National Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Muima. Um, the next speaker is Honorable Slick. Honorable Chairperson, Honorable Members, Fellow South Africans, Mulweni, good morning, Huyamora. Honorable Chair, I'm not surprised that when uh, Honorable Moimang started with this uh, debate, he he gave us uh, a history lesson because while we were on the ground in Northwest, he was on Zoom. So he didn't have the facts. All his inputs are based on reports, you know, that he has received. The main objective of corporate governance is to ensure that all spheres of government are committed to securing the well-being of all people of South Africa. And to end, and to that end must provide effective, transparent, accountable on a, on a point of order, government to the entire What's the point of order, Honorable Muma? Yes, I think Honorable Silegu knows that uh, as a member of the Joint State Committee of Intelligence, I was in Pretoria, and those meetings don't uh, entertain Zoom platform. This I was not We're wasting my time. We're wasting my time. The point of the bite up. There's order, honorable members. There it is. No point of order there. So allow honorable Slego to proceed. Thank you, Chair. Although I was misleading the house that I was on Zoom. I was not even on Zoom, Chair. I was not on Zoom. It was a ruling honorable Chair, can I please continue? Honorable can you for a moment uh, leave the question of, of Zoom? 
out of the debate and, and just allow Honorable Sleku to proceed. Thank you very much, uh, Chair. Although provinces are distinctive, they exercise their powers and perform their functions within the regulatory framework set by the national government, which is also responsible for monitoring compliance with that framework, and if need be, intervening when constitutional or statutory obligations are not fulfilled. In 2018, the president established the M uh, IMTT, also known as the intervention team, after the province was engulfed in violent public protests, which threatened to disrupt the rule of law and order and affected the delivery of basic services in the province. The provincial government was put under administration of section 100A and B, which meant national government took control of all powers that normally reside within the provincial government as well as municipalities. This intervention took place in order to combat the looting and maladministration that was prevalent in many government departments. Honorable Chairperson, the other committee of section 100 had to go and see for themselves if this particular intervention was actually bearing fruit since 2018. Our visit was from the 15th to the 18th of March, 2021. We listened to a lot of presentation from the executive, administrators, provincial scopa, and unions. It was clear from this presentation that all was not well. The premier and his team were divided on whether the intervention was working or not. Members of the community that we were supposed to meet ended up being, ended up being ANC members. We were eventually informed that the meeting with the community was not properly communicated, resulting in another opportunity going to waste. Honorable Chairperson, the issues identified by the Fifth Parliament's other committee are, are still unresolved without any indication as to when it will be resolved. The following departments, namely community safety and transport, health, social development, and public works continue to work in silos. The tension between the executive and the administrators was clear from day one. Some departments still need to appoint senior staff members. There are clinics that are ready to be used but can be used due to the threat of gangsterism. While some departments have shown some improvements in audit outcomes, the provincial department of health has not improved. While the department of human settlements got a disclaimer. Honorable chair, it is evident that an improved audit outcome in the embattled Northwest province does not necessarily measure service delivery improvements. Honorable chairperson, on the 7th of June, 2021, we dealt with a community forum about a memorandum that was submitted to the office of the Prima in 2017. What was surprising, Honorable Chair, was that the mayor then, on, in, on that particular municipality, was, a, was an MEC, which, which one of the departments is also under intervention, and she was reshuffled to the municipality and later on was reshuffled to the NCOP, which is the Honorable Tebucho Modise, I'm not surprised. While the memorandum was unresolved, Honorable Chair. Order, Chair. Honorable Chair, uh, is it parliamentary for a member to cast suspicion on a member, on, on his colleagues? No, those are facts, Chair. Those are facts. She left without resolving the memorandum. She was a mayor in 2016 up until she was reshuffled to the NCOP. And she sits next to me in the NCOP. Can I continue, Chair? Chair is it correct for a member to cast aspersion on his colleague? Can the Chair rule on that? Whose speech is this? Is this my man's speech? 
Honorable Chair, can I, can I, I only left you two minutes. Can I conclude? You're muted, Chair. Go for it, Isaac. Don't take my mom put you off. It is clear that the ANC is an enemy to itself and no intervention implemented by them will ever give us value for money. And the speaker they proceed to their house instead of hosting. on your fellow MPs. Uh, if you want to raise specific issues like that, then you, then you need a, 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 a substantive motion uh, that outlines, that will allow space for all of those kinds of issues to be, to be discussed. And therefore, I'll, allow you, I'll, I'll ask um, you to draw. Yeah, thank you, Chair. Okay, no Chairperson. I'll ask you to, to, to draw that, that remark. On a point of order. Do we draw that yes, uh, honorable what you say is a member of the SOP? What's the point of order? Chairperson, a point of order, there's freedom of speech uh, in according to the rules. But Honorable Isaac said, uh, or Honorable Sileko said, it's a fact. The member was a mayor, uh, MEC, then she was a mayor, and now she's in the NCP. What must you withdraw about that? No, no, no. The point that's being made really is, is that you, you can't... Uh, uh, have a situation where Honorable Sileku passes the judgment and therefore cast a suspicion on the Honorable Member. Uh, if he wants to debate the details and show us the merits and demerits of uh, uh, Honorable Mdisa's capability as, as, as a leader, then we need a substantive motion. But Chair, what I'm stating is that when she was mayor, it just does the I same thing. I would appeal, Honorable Seleku, can you honestly order. accept order. the ruling of the chair, and the chair and debate your facts on your speech? Please I withdraw, withdraw Honorable Seleku. I withdraw. I, I, can I continue? Please proceed. It is clear that the ANC is an enemy to itself, and no intervention implemented by them will ever give us value for money. They need to fix their house instead of wasting taxpayers' money in fighting their political battles. The current premier, the former premier, and the future premier should take political accountability for the mess in front of their doorstep instead of fighting each other. People are crying out for basic services. If the ANC really cared about the people of the Northwest, they wouldn't use the constitution to fight their fictional battles. On a point of order, who's the, the, who's the, who's uh, the, the point of order? The point of order is that in the point point board. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, the next speaker is Honorable Zandamela. Honorable Zandamela. Honorable Zandamela. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, Due to the collapse of governance system and structures, which led to the social and labor unrest, as well as damage to properties that were observed. In the, Northwest, in the Northwest province in 2018. The cabinet resolved in May 2018 to revoke section 100 of the constitution of the, of, of, uh, of the constitution in the province. The, the cabinet set up an, uh, an inter-ministerial ministerial team to conduct performance assessment processes. Of note is that it is for the first time in the history of intervention since 1994 where the national executive were, were to intervene in such a large scale of about 
10 provincial departments. This confirms the extent of damage, the, the, the organized corruption that was orchestrated by the ANC government in the Northwest province. Nothing has been achieved by these uh, interventions as the uh, perpetrators are still out there and not in jail. Previous interventions were in few departments. In, in, the, in the case of Northwest, it demonstrates that not only intervention was needed, but the complete takeover by the national government was needed. The committee visited the province in 2018 and adopted the report uh, on the 30th uh, of October in 2018, where it, it resolved that the intervention was indeed warranted and must be continuously monitored on a regular basis and further made several recommendations for the IMTT to implement. It is for these reasons that the ADOC committee decided to conduct a follow-up follow oversight visit between the 15th and 18th of March 2021. The Constitution provides that the national executive may intervene by taking any appropriate steps to ensure the fulfillment of the obligation and provide the executive authority at the national level it is vested in the president, who must exercise it together with other members of the cabinet when performing executive functions provided in the constitution. Chairperson, to demonstrate that the intervention has not achieved much, the executive has not acted since its inception. Here are the key areas that Chairperson that needed attention in that province. As we speak, Chairperson, about 28 senior managers face uh, face the uh, uh, charges still facing disciplinary uh, processes related to financial misconduct fraud fraud and corruption and are still not in jail or expelled all we hear is the forensic investigations are still underway the national prosecuting authority together with the uh, directorate for priority crimes investigations are pursuing, are pursuing 51 criminal cases related to public funds in the Northwest. And only 10 has been concluded with unsatisfactory results without single senior manager being sentenced to jail, uh, to a jail term. The province has reported irregular expenditure, again, of about 3.4 billion. The asset for future unit has not recovered even a cent in priority cases. In their, in their disposal. Chairperson, the collapse of government structures happens when uh, supply chain management, financial controls, high levels of accruals, and failure to manage contracts, fraud, corruption, and uh, 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 happens uh, due to senior officials not adhering to uh, procurement processes. High vacancy rates, rates especially at managerial level, Collapse of service and hospitals, uh, together with the, not providing services to the local clinics. Emergency services under-resourced and under-capacity. Chairperson, all the key areas that are mentioned are still not resolved for the Northwest province to be able to be back on its feet and provide services to our people. A senior intervention headed by opposition parties should be established as ANC has been. I thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much. We'll proceed to the next speaker, Honorable Shiba.
Honorable Sheba. We'll proceed to the next speaker. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Honorable Chaperson of the NCOP, Honorable Masondo, Deputy Chaperson of NCOP, Honorable Lucas, Chaperson of the Select Committee, Honorable Dodovu, Minister of Cocta, Mamko Sazanadlamini Zuma, Deputy Minister of Cocta, Babu Babela, Honorable Members of the Select Committee, Permanent Special Delegates to the NCOP, my colleagues, MECs that are present, Secretary to the NCOP and officials, good morning. Uh, the provincial government led by the premier has the constitutional obligation to provide the services to the community effectively and timelessly. Section 125 of the Constitution of the Republic of South Africa of 1996 mandates the premier to, amongst others, exercise the executive authority together with other members of the executive council by implementing provincial legislation in the province and implementing all national legislation within the functional areas listed in schedule four or five, except where the constitution or an act of parliament provides otherwise. The above mentioned section is a relevant and important provision in the constitution. Honorable Chairperson, because provincial government functionality is measured against their ability to perform their constitutional obligation to the citizens in their respective provinces. In summary, Section 100, just as it is supported in Section 139 of Section 7 of the Constitution, provides that if a province cannot or does not fulfill an executive obligation in terms of the constitution or legislation, it becomes necessary that the national executive intervenes by taking any appropriate steps to ensure fulfillment of that obligation, including assuming responsibility for the relevant obligation in that province to the extent necessary to maintain essential national standards or meet established minimum standards for the rendering of services of service and to maintain the economic unit. Where <clears throat> we are here to we are here to share our views on the intervention that was necessary and constitutional to rescue the ailing service delivery machinery for the uh, people of Northwest Province. The report before us presents all the steps taken so far and tabulate uh, specific areas of achievements and those that are still outstanding. These are welcome not only to this house, but to the community of the Northwest province. We must also welcome and take full cognizance and care that the targeted directives and close monitoring takes place to avoid any chances for regressing regression, which may negatively taint the stability that has been achieved. Continued monitoring, reporting, and the evaluation of progress and impact achieved should be adopted to standard operation procedures. Of particular interest as well is the support that the province should continuously receive 
through its COPTA department to stabilize municipalities through the district development model approach. Honorable members, I am convinced as much as we are convinced in the Pumalanga province that the Northwest province has much to benefit in turning the tide against the teething and stubborn service delivery challenges. Other areas of support that should not escape closest monitoring and should always be placed on the oversight radar include the following. Build in-house institutional capacity and capability in the Department of Human Settlements to enable it to successfully run its own affairs and to relieve it from over-reliance on its PMU. A close monitoring and pressing of the implementation pedal to deal decisively with criminal cases. The hostility towards the intervention is unwarranted and should be avoided at all costs. And uh, the administration should further ensure that the disciplinary processes are dealt with decisively without fail and that all transgressions should accordingly be brought to book in order to justify that wrongdoing can never be tolerated and does not pay. We must also agree with the highlighted areas of achievements, which include amongst others, the filling of key management posts to improve the, cap the capacity for service delivery, the termination of wasteful and poorly managed outsourcing contracts and empowerment of officials to do the work they were employed for, and the turnaround in audit outcomes that resulted in improved opinion for the first time in five years. These are positive developments that we should all welcome and must be applauded. Honorable Chairperson and members, the report also highlights some outstanding matters that are handed to the next administration to further pursue and fulfill. Of particular to note is the appointment of the DG and the establishment of an effective provincial labor relations framework. These I have particularly noted because they form the critical basis for stability and labor harmony in an institution. Since we do this exercise today, when it is the Africa Public Service Day to honor all the committed public servants who continue to serve the people of this country. Let me share with you the words of encouragement by Margaret Chase Smith, who was the first woman to serve in both house of the United States Congress, Congress who once said, I could, my creed is that the public service must be more than doing a job efficiently and honestly. It must be a complete dedication to the people and to the nation with full recognition that every human being is entitled to the courtesy and consideration that constructive criticism is not only to be expected but sought, that smears are not only to be expected but fought and that honor is to be earned, not bought. As I conclude, Honorable Chairperson, this report does not only provide the relief and hope for the people of Northwest province, but a lesson for all provinces and their administrations. The report is welcome. I thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable Shiva. We'll then move Thank you.
The next speaker, and our next speaker is Honorable Ngwezi. It doesn't seem like Honorable Ngwezi is uh, in the system. In that case, we'll move on to the next speaker, Honorable Dutoit. Honorable Dutoit. Thank you, Akbara Voorzitter. Does the Northwest province in effect the country have a responsible government. Citizen, 24 April 2018, violent Northwest protests spread to different parts of the province. The ANC will still uh, study talks on the way to address the matter of the Northwest Premier possibly stepping down, says the party's uh, Secretary General. News 24, police in the Northwest province are investigating a case of murder after a 16-year-old dies during protest action on Monday. And then the SANDF intervened in the province to ensure that the medical health depot in Maiking was secure. 22 hospitals and 400 clinics in the province were affected as a result of the strike. News 24 also reported in 2018 that uh, protest action looting flaring up uh, around South Africa, violence spreading to other towns in the Northwest province with residents demanding that Premier Supramo Mapelu step down. Then the Mail and Guardian on the 9th of May, 2021, doctors unable to enter Northwest Hospital as protest action continues. And Chair, Wikipedia states that South Africa has been dubbed the protest capital of the world with one of the highest rates of public protest in the world. Why is this? The RNC mark weer geschiedenis en weer is het niet goed nie. Voorzitter, uit die ad hoc komitee verslag is het duidelijk dat die rede vir die ingryping dier die kabinet in die Noordwestprovincie die verval van regeringsstelsel en strukture die Noordwestprovincie was, wat gevolg het tot gewelddadige protestaksie wat daarop geleid het. Dit was die eerste keer sier 1994 dat een provincie in Zuid-Afrika onder administratie geplaas word. Skandele. Daar is veronderstelling kundig is te wees. Nie net word die provincie onder administratie geplaas nie, maar administrateers word ook in sommige van die departementen, soos bijvoorbeeld gezondheid, die kantoor vir die premier in die departement van gemeenschapsveiligheid en vervoer en die departementen van uh, menselijke openbare werken in die provincie aangestel. These are departments that are responsible for service delivery, health, safety, roads, and at the end of the day, job creation in the province, Jay. What was the reason for the unrest and the demise? Well, according to the report, it was the collapse of governance systems and structures. But why? How did it happen? It happened as a result of failed political leadership, self-enrichment, guided deployment, uh, absence of consequence management, underperformance, greed, and a total disrespect for fellow South Africans. About 60% of the challenges experienced the municipalities are as a result of political instability. Uh, with the emphasis on ANC political instability. What section, sanction was instituted of uh, remedial action that was taken against the Premier under whose watch this province crumbled to the shameful state that it is currently in? Well, the reward the ex-Premier Momapelu got was that he became a member of parliament in the National Assembly and heads the ANC's political school. In effect, it can be interpreted that ANC cadres are being schooled in the art of corruption and state capture. Well, most of the violent protest actions stopped when uh, the Premier stepped down and when he was removed as Premier. 
It is evident, Chair, that the intervention has not yielded the anticipated results. The Section 139 interventions in municipalities for the period September 2018 to December 2019 cost the province 35 million rand. The cost to date have not yet been determined. In February 2021, the National Treasury reported that the cost of the Section 100 intervention in the Northwest province amounted to a staggering 70.1, that's 70.1 million rand. Chair, the intervention came at a cost to the country. The problems are persisting in the provincial legislature. Uh, not um, all the important vacant positions has been filled since 2018. Underspending in some departments are still taking place. When MECs were questions about it, uh, uh, the MEC replied by saying that if less of the budget is spent, less financial irregularities can take place. How absurd. Daar is heel wat sake wat tans dier die valke in die speciale onderzoek en het onderzoek word voorzitter, maar een versoek dier die VF plus dat die financiële forensische audit in JB Marks municipaliteit gedoen word, is toe dier die komitee van die hand gewaas. Ten spuite daarvan dat sekere aangeleendheer in ander municipaliteite wel onderzoek word. Dit is weer eens een bewijs dat daar selectieve onderzoeken plaasvind en sekere kaders moendlik beskerm word om die beeld van die ANC te beskerm. Political interference is a major challenge, Jay. Uh, continuing with this intervention will not necessarily resolve the matter. There is a problem in the Northwest province, yes, and the Freedom Front Plus therefore suggests that the legislature be dissolved and new members be elected. Section 109 of the uh, Constitution does allow for that to happen. And the Auditeurs-Generaal-Verslag has onlangs aangeduid that municipal finances in menige municipaliteit in the Noordwest vreselijk swak is. Verdere vermoorsing van belastingbetalers volste mag nie toegelaat word nie, en dis ondersteun die vrijheidsfrontlis glad nie hierdie verslag nie. Dankie, voorzitter. Thank you very much, Honorable Twaid. The next speaker is going to Honorable Twaile. Honorable Twaile is the Northwest MEC for Cooperative Governance, Human Settlement and Traditional Affairs. Uh, thank you very much, Honorable Chair, Honorable Members, Honorable Minister of Cocta Protocol Observed. Honorable Members, in April 2018, Cabinet resolved on invocation of Section 100 on Northwest and it was necessitated by the challenges emanating from the work of the Executive Council. Unlike many of the other Section 100, either on Free State, Eastern Cape, and or Houghton Province, focusing on certain departments, it was not only targeted on specific departments, but at the generalized matters affecting the province as a whole, and it was not as per invite, but decision in response to the challenges that were enveloping our province. Today's date debates are happening three years after invocation of section 100, which remains in place since from the fifth Northwest provincial uh, government. In December, 2011, Similar intervention was deemed necessary for Limpopo with provincial treasury, education, 
health, public works, roads and transports taken over, and national treasury effectively taking oversight from provincial treasury. In respect of all departments, not only those under administration. In case of Northwest, provincial treasury is remaining with responsibility of oversight as its prerogative and competence, signaling that the circumstances and scenarios are not similar and that the material conditions of Northwest province are not as worse as it was the case with Limpopo. Then the intervention in Limpopo was ended or terminated on and around July 2014, after three years, with then Minister of Finance saying Limpopo was a learning curve for South Africa and that it would be used as a reference point for government. At the time, the collapse of governance was a new thing to the democratic South Africa, also as acknowledged by the NCOP at the time. But how Treasury has responded and turned the situation around was applaudable. Honorable Chair, when the National Treasury <coughs> left Limpopo, it insisted that the Premier should let it be known to his officials that the Premier should let it be known to his officials that HODs were inheriting the liability and responsibility of what happened during the course of administration under Section 101B. It was agreed at the time by the NCOP Finance Committee that it should be on a rare basis that such an intervention was implemented. Honorable Chair, flowing from this experience and contemplation of the constitution that there would be promulgation of the legislative framework for the guidance and creation of a regulatory faculty on implementation of section 100 as well as section 139. Bill is developed for this purpose and hopeful that once concluded, we would have a means through uh, uh, which section 100 and section 139 of the constitutions would be guided. Where we are, we know we are just uh, in the trial and error. Honorable Chair, a delayed promulgation of the legislation to guide section 100 did not necessarily make the section 100 intervention difficult. We are, we as a provincial government are of the view that section 100 has succeeded despite few of other presenting challenges. To respond to some hiccups, Section 36 of the PFMA was used, amongst others, for provincial treasury to appoint administrators as accounting officers. Noting that heads of departments are appointed in terms of Public Service Act and automatically assume accounting officer responsibility in terms of Section 39. But any official other than head of the department can become accounting officer in terms of section 36 of the PFMA. Not only for purpose of administration, but also when HOD fails in terms of section 36 of the PFMA under exceptional circumstances. Honorable Chair, honorable members, it is my submission today in this house.
That progress has been recorded since Section 100 invocation, and that the NCOP in its interaction with the law enforcement agency on the 11th of June 2021 took note of the progress being done on tackling all allegations of corruption, malfeasance, and maladministration, even if the progress is low. That it remains work in progress and that it does not mean work of the law enforcement agencies and institutions supporting democracy come to an end and it does not mean they have to focus only on what has happened in the past as it is necessary to continue to unfold their work not only for the present times but also for the future or into the future. Honorable Chair, feeling of senior managers post continues and progress is being recorded on this area. Honorable members, appreciating that the challenges for which Section 100 was invoked flows from the 5th Northwest Provincial Administration. A test is whether or not the 6th Northwest Provincial Administration Executive Council has equally failed on its mandate. Has that been put to a test? A critical test is whether or not continued Section 100 intervention does not get, uh, that does not get reduced in its intensity or strength, does not hold potential to undermine prospects of sustainability of redress made by the Section 100 administration. Is it, it time for winning off of the administration? or engaging on conditional handover, which may include section 100, subsection 1A, allowing supervision of national departments and some form of mitigations against possible relapse. Honorable members, the semi-federal system of national government with non-provincial governments was a set up made as a compromise during CODESA and related multilateral engagement when some parties insisted on their own autonomous or independent geographical space. And we know these provinces are funded through division of nationally generated revenue and not even able to fund themselves. And just like municipalities, and that, of course, constitution provides for their oversight especially by their national government, provides a rare opportunity that we can agree on either winning off or conditional handover. Honorable Chair, whereas Section 100 intervention was necessary and doing well, even if in the face of some of the challenges, it would be not in the interest and spirit of the Constitution to seek to permanentize it particularly over the present electoral period of the sixth Northwest Provincial Administration. It is overshadowing the sixth Northwest Provincial Administration, even when it is no longer for redress, especially when it is only for sustainability of what has been achieved, because such sustainability should help in institutionalization of capacity and transfer of responsibilities and build the internalized or localized capabilities. Honorable Chair, 
It would be an error, a serious constitutional omission, not to seek to enable province to manage its affairs with national plain prescribed oversight. The intervention should be supported even with allocation of funds so that intervention itself should not only depend and use resources made available for services. This is a request that could be made to financial and physical commission established through FFC Act number 99 of 1997, flowing from section 214 of the constitution to provide proactive expert and independent advice on promoting a sustainable and equitable intergovernmental fiscal relations system through evidence-based policy analysis to ensure the realization of our constitutional values that any continued and permanentized intervention would undermine. Honorable Chair, Section 214 of the Constitution says... Yes. As we move towards closure... As I move towards closure... Fast forward. Honorable Chair, the discussion on proposed principles and objectives of local government equitable share formula may need to be taken to logical conclusion to give relevancy to the intended redress efforts on the municipality. Importantly, challenges enveloping the municipalities have been responded to and the intergovernmental relations multidisciplinary teams made up of national and provincial government departments and other state agencies <laughs> have put in place progressive plan of action. Thank you very much, Honorable Chair. Thank you, thank you very much. The next speaker is Honorable Ryder. Honorable Ryder. Thank you very much, Mr. Chairperson. Mr. Chair, as I worked through this report, I thought back on the long hours of meetings and the substantial commitment of time and resources that each member of this committee and the support staff have put into the process since we've started. I considered the long hours and I felt decidedly underwhelmed by what we have achieved to date. Honorable Dodovu's introduction today also voiced the frustration with the slow progress that we've made. So I went back to the Parliamentary Monitoring Group's records of our meetings, and perhaps let me acknowledge the PMG and their excellent work done uh, in the service of democracy, Mr. Chair. But while going through their records and discussing it with colleagues, the realization dawned on us that we are an ad hoc committee without clear direction. We have a star-studded cast but there is no plot. This committee has picked up the reins from our predecessors in the fifth department without adequately reviewing our purpose or our focus. We jumped on the bus and forged ahead without a clear destination in mind. The result has been hours of review of process without a scorecard to market by or a goal line in sight. Honorable Fissel was quite right in her speech earlier. The key performance areas and more specifically, key performance indicators of the administrators need to be set with the inputs of our committee so that we can properly monitor the impact and effects of the Section 100 intervention. Especially true in light of the absence of the subservient legislation demanded by paragraph 100.3 of the Constitution, as has just been pointed out by MEC Kwaile. We need to know what the intervention is hoping to achieve. Only then will we be able to properly evaluate the progress and determine whether the intervention has fulfilled its mandate. 
At this stage, we are merely a confessional where we hear the sins of the weak and we send them away to do a token penance with no real means of checking, with no measure or consequence. If we carry on as we have, we will continue to hear these tales of woe. We'll read the litany of failures of governments in this province and be ashamed by the shenanigans of the factions at war and the minister's admissions in this regard. With her defeatist, I'll leave it at that, ringing in our ears. Chairperson, I must emphasize at this point that Section 100 interventions, like Section 139 interventions, cannot be used as a tool to address a lack of political leadership or internal political problems. Such issues must be dealt with separately to make space for administrative interventions to work effectively to provide services to the people. Again, Honorable Bill Dudovu implied this in his speech, but it needs to be stated clearly. And yet the minister's tone deafness was again demonstrated by her obvious choice of headdress today. The facts that Honorable Seleku put forward cannot be refuted, and yet they touch certain members on their studios. We need to get past the politics. I love the quote put forward by MEC Shiba. We should all remember that we are here to make sure that we improve the lives of our residents. If we indeed agree to the extension of this process, then we must rechart our future by setting out explicit terms of reference, by determining goals and landmarks, by knowing what it is that we are measuring. Only then do we stand a chance of succeeding. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Raida. Uh, the next speaker is Honorable Karim. Uh, Honorable Yunus Karim. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. Uh, Chairperson, Minister, Deputy Minister, MEC, uh, MEC's comrades and friends. Uh, let's be clear that the Northwest has not been functioning effectively and fulfilling its executive obligations is bad and sad. That the national government had to effect a Section 100 intervention as necessary as this is unfortunate. But this failure to govern is not just a reflection on the provincial government and provincial legislature chairperson. It is also crucially a reflection on us as the NCOP. What are we, if not a national forum, to advance the needs and interests of the provinces in the national sphere? If the national government has to intervene in a province, it also reflects on the failure of the NCOP to effectively fulfill our oversight as our colleagues from the opposition party should also urgently note. We are not a federal state. We are a unitary state with provinces that have constitutionally enshrined powers and functions. In terms of our cooperative governance system, Ethiopia is meant to grow stronger the more you cooperate with the other two spheres. So if a province fails, it reflects on the failure of the other two spheres to play their roles effectively. And not only the national government must take some measure of responsibility for the failure of a province to function, so too must the national legislature, in, particularly, in particular the NCOP. We aren't a federal state. We can't look from high up, from the center, as it were, and say, ah, that's their problem, the Northwest's problem. Let them stew, as you might if you were a federal state. No, we are a cooperative governance system. We're all in this together. 
And who are the main victims of a failure of provincial government to work, if not ordinary citizens? And once again, disproportionately the poor and disadvantaged. The very same citizens, mind you, that vote for us in national elections, the very same citizens that we are constitutionally and morally obliged to support and serve. So if a province doesn't work, Chairperson, our own work as a national parliament, the NCOP in particular, is undermined. In other words, for the national parliament to work, the provincial legislatures and the provincial government have to work. So it is, we said in our report, that the national government is under a constitutional duty to assist provinces by legislative and other means to develop the administrative capacity required for the effective exercise of the executive authority of implementing inter-area provincial legislation and all national legislation within their functional areas as listed in schedules four and five of the constitution. Also, as has been mentioned repeatedly, the constitution makes provision for the national government to intervene if a province fails to fulfill its executive obligations. So our report notes that there needs to be, and I quote, far more effective cooperation from the NCOP committees and our counterparts in provincial legislatures so that both the NCOP and the legislatures are far more effective in our oversight of the provincial executives, thereby reducing the prospects of section 100 interventions. It is this cooperative governance system that can facilitate the developmental state that the minister referred to. A developmental state is difficult to effect in a federal structure as against the wonderful system we have in theory, though of course in practice of cooperative governance, it doesn't work the way it should, not least because we in the NCOP have also responsibilities in that regard that perhaps we're not fulfilling. Now Ms. Fisser goes on and on about the problem almost as if we are hiding it. Yet on the other hand, Mr. Fani Jutoy refers to press statements that constantly refer to the crisis that the Northwest confronted before the intervention, and to some extent, it still experiences those challenges. So you can't hide these things, Ms. Fisser, nobody is. I mean, it doesn't help to melodramatize it. It's there out there in the reality, the media won't run away from it. And certainly, it's civil society action. It's the civic associations, ordinary citizens that very largely prompted this intervention by their actions on the ground. Now, yes, you say that the signs of failure should have been acted on sooner before collapse. Should, uh, uh, you say, we should, again, you see, it's, it's, a, it's an anomaly, Chairperson. On the one hand, the DA will insist on the autonomy of provinces, right? They want this provincial system. So does the Freedom Front. And yet on the other hand, they say, intervene, intervene, intervene. And then they'll complain that the national government's interviewing unduly. So for example, it'll be very interesting to know, Chairperson, if the intervention was in the Western Cape, would the DA be so keen for interventions too soon? Yet we all agree, not least the minister and the Department of Cocta, that there is a need for early warning signs. This has been on the agenda of government and parliament for some years now. And we ourselves say, that the NCOP through the Select Committee on COCTA needs to develop a framework based on our experience and understanding of the Northwest intervention and other Section 100 interventions on how we more effectively monitor the provinces so that we are better able to pick up early warning signs of a province's faltering governance that might lead to a Section 100 intervention. The aims of such a framework would include trying to prevent a province deteriorating to the extent that the Section 100 intervention becomes necessary. 
The lessons learned from these interventions, including what measures work, need to be part of this framework, as Ms. Fisher very well knows. She was in the committee yesterday when we chose to put that in. In our report, we actually note that quick fixes do not always work. And the minister spoke of, I thought she put it very evocatively, it's, it's not a, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. Instead of ending up with these long interventions as a last resort, let's focus more on early warning systems. We agree with the DA and others. And of course, both the national government and uh, provincial government have to play their part, but so too must we as the NCOP. Now, Ms. Fisser goes on about, you know, the extension may need new terms. Now, maybe she's right. I I'm sure, well, I can't the minister, but uh, presumably they are open to that idea. They don't want to be there anymore than you want them to be there, Ms. Fisser. I mean, COCTA's got a thousand different responsibilities. Local elections are coming up and so on. So they're only there because they have to be there. You ask who's doing what. That's why the legislation is pending. As the minister explained, the bill is being processed. As you yourself will jump up and down, it has to be consulted with. For example, the Constitution in Section 1454, Chairperson, is it? As a former chairperson of Selga, you'll remember. Maybe I've got this wrong, but it requires every bill affecting the powers and functions of local government to be negotiated with local government. Now, we say also in the report, which you uh, uh, were part of, Ms. Fisser, that there's a lack of cooperation, teamwork, coordination, and interdepartmental relations among all structures and role players to more ensure effective implementation of the Section 100 intervention, blah, blah, blah. What we're basically admitting to is that there is a need for a greater deficit of roles and responsibilities of the different actors in the intervention. And uh, uh, I also think, yes, yes, the local elections are coming up, so we'll over-politicize it, but we're the National Council of Provinces. We're not the NA. There needs to be a greater degree of, let's say, provincialism across political party divides that needs to prevail here. So we all need to work together to make this province function as it should. Now, Mr. Dutoy goes on and on about our inter, uh, internal divisions. That too is something the ANC, just Google Ms. Fisser, just Google Mr. Dutoy and see. The ANC admits that our own internal divisions have contributed uh, and need to be addressed in order for the province to function. Nobody's hidden that. But what is outrageous, Chairperson, probably the most outrageous thing I've heard in this term of parliament. Mr. Dutoy suggested or says that cadres he thinks are being schooled by the ANC in the art of corruption. If that is what he said, it is outrageous, Chairperson. Where's the evidence for that? If he says that, then I could retort. I could say, well, how would he feel if I or any of the ANC comrades said that the Freedom Front Plus does nothing more than school its members and the supporters out there on racism or return to apartheid? So basically, I think the most outrageous thing to say. Then he wants the legislature to dissolve. That is something that he suggested the, the national government, the NCOP might want to do. Absolutely not. Here's the Freedom Front. They demanded these provinces, right? As the uh, MEC from Northwest said. It came about of a concession to them and the DA and the National Party of the time. Now he wants a national legislature to dissolve the provincial. You can't do that. It's unconstitutional. It's absurd. You wanted the provincial system. You have it. Respect democracy, Mr. Fani Dutoy. Now we go on to say that Mr. Selepu and so on, they use such strong words, Chairperson, to describe their failures in the province. They reduce it ultimately to a subjective failure, as if there's something inherent in people, a lack of a moral compass or, 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 or their capacity to loot, rather than looking also at the system and structural issues. Before we end, Comrade Chair, I have to also add my words of deep regret 
at Comrade Tawunda's death, the former president of Zambia, and acknowledge, as we all must, whichever party we come from, his enormous contribution to the end of apartheid and to the continent, not least, of course, to his own country, Zambia. And we mustn't forget that the chairperson of this committee, Mr. China Duluva, also, may I also on behalf of members of the committee, to the extent they allow me to say this, say that, in fact, he's done a very sterling job. I mean, he's been very, he's been pushing and driving us. And when we plead with him not to meet on certain days because they clash with other committees, he goes ahead because he was very driven. So may I also acknowledge his contribution. Chairperson, there's plenty more that could be said. No doubt when Mr. Dudu uh, ends this uh, debate, we will take up on conversation. Thank you very much, indeed. Thank you very much, Honorable uh, Karim. Uh, we will now allow Honorable Nguesi to to come back uh, and say, say, Honorable Nguesi, are you there? Yes, uh, Honorable Chairperson of yes, the NSU. I wish to raise the matter again. I wish to put it on record. Yes, Chief Whip. I have said in the past, if a member of the House is experiencing any problem whatsoever, the Chief Whip of the Council should be notified about such. When we order speaking list, it is ordered with the strength of parties that they occupy in the house. Honorable Karim was not by mistake, was, was, was to close, was to be the last speaker prior to the chair of the committee in terms of the ordering of the list. So I'm saying, Chair, if you accept what Honorable Ngwezi is doing, will set wrong precedent. If he's accepted today on the strength of the significance of the report to hear the views of other parties, I would agree it can be accepted, but it is incorrect to disrupt the order of the speaking list other than members taking responsibility at the time they are required to speak to do so. Thanks. Yeah. No, I've heard the concern by the chief. And even the last time this thing happened, and I heard his concern, I did not want to respond on that day. You know, Honorable Honorable Nguesi, order. Continue with yes, 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 Chair. Out of order, order please. And speak very, very briefly so that your message is not lost. Please proceed. But, but, but Honorable Chair. Honorable Chair. Chair. It's not my own making. It's the ANC is failing to provide electricity in the country. It's not my fault. We have no electricity this side. That's a very valid point. It's not my fault. What do you want me to do? Yeah, no, it's, 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 giving an opportunity. I'm not this kind of person, but if you take me too far, then I, I can become this honorable chair. We will not fight with you on Gwezi. The chairperson said you must take part in the debate. Participate in the other things. Honorable Nguesi, can we ask you to speak? 
There is electricity. I stay in. in the in, the in question KZN. of electricity can be used. You stay in Uku. I stay at Mpange. Can we have the same thing happening? This report shows that uh, over and over again. So let's not get into that. Uh, Honorable Ngwezi, please speak. Uh-uh, this is wrong. No. Thank you. Thank you very much. We'll then proceed without Honorable Ngwezi. Uh, Honorable Dodovu. Chair, I start, I'm reading my speech now. Yeah, but don't, don't, don't give us speeches about electricity and so on, because that's no, neither I've gone past there. that, Chair. That's neither here nor there. Uh, proceed. Thank you, Chairperson. This report shows the total collapse of government and stealing of public funds by individuals who seem to think that they are entitled to this money. We alarmingly see that those in power do not respect the mechanisms for accountability and good governance in constitution of our people. They do not fear any consequences of their actions. In fact, they attempt to defeat the ends of justice by suffocating processes of consequence management to either shield themselves or their comrades from the rule of law. In this case, service delivery has been almost non-existent to the people of Northwest. The people of the Northwest province have felt the frustrating effects of being denied services and thanks to the national government, although it acted quite very late. Being denied services means that those in power are guilty of wrongdoing. We continuously sound the call for those who have shown disrespect to the law to be held to account. It is clear that this government has no interest in holding government officials and politicians to account for their actions. In fact, the ruling party turns those who have stolen from the, from the people into types of celebrities, as is prevalent in the example of the Zondo Commission. The IFP calls on for urgent intervention of a national provincial task team to be established under Chapter 9 of the Constitution to investigate corruption and service delivery problems in each province. Be to be given powers to subpoena and any individual under the direction of the Office of the Chief Justice for purposes of investigation. Arrest individuals who have been found to collude with government officials, politicians, or any employee of the state to defraud and or mismanage any arm of government. As opposition parties, we have alerted government and parliament to the mismanagement of Northwest and other provinces in this country. Yet government officials such as ministers, premiers, MECs, etc. do not take the call of our alarm seriously. In fact, it is the biggest joke to them as they politicize our warnings and think the people of South Africa do not deserve a government that can deliver. This report on the Northwest province is clear example in black and white of what we as opposition have been flagging for years. Yet today, we will sit here and listen to those who have something to benefit by the mismanagement of this province. As we have seen uh, from the MEC of that province, when they pretend to be shocked, write checks for their comrades to bail them out of turmoil and provide empty promises to say that there, there will be consequence management only for this issue to be forgotten by the time this house adjourns. The people of this country must take the change in the next local government elections and choose the IFP, which is the only party that has a culture of offering respect to citizens, 
has a track record of good governance, takes action when officials have been alleged of wrongdoing and does not cover up employees who falsify their qualification. And again, I should thank you, Chairperson, for having finally intervened in the Northwest. And I urge government that when calls are made in the future for other provinces, we must quickly attend to those issues before we face a similar situation like the Northwest. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson, and for allowing me to debate. And uh, sorry to the Chief Whip to disturb his uh, plan uh, on how the House must run. Uh, uh, in, 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 thank you. Yeah, no, I must thank the NCOP. Thank you very much, Honorable Dodovo. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you very much for the opportunity. In the first place, I would like to express our collective fervent appreciation to the speakers who debated the report today. Both positive and negative aspects of the debate. As a committee, we have taken note of those because they can only strengthen us in terms of doing our job and in terms of making sure that we fulfill the assignment that the House has given to us. We really want to thank uh, the speakers for, for that opportunity to listen to them, even if sometimes the criticisms were unfair, were unjustifiable, and they were indeed unwarranted. In the main chairperson, we would like to thank the national government for taking a proactive step to intervene in the Northwest when things were very, very bad, to ensure that at the end of the day, when there is stability, the Northwest government fulfills its executive obligations under the constitution like all other provinces. I think this is what is very good. At a time when the national government intervened, it is clear that almost everything was bad in the Northwest. The financial management systems had collapsed. And since the national government has came in, it has stabilized that important area of financial management, that there is accountability, and that there is improvement and the National Treasury has demonstrated that, that since the intervention, things have started shaping up very, very well in the Northwest province. And in, on that score, we heartily thank the national government for, for that intervention. At a time when there was this intervention, it is clear that the audit opinions of, of all the provincial departments were not good. Wasteful expenditure, fruitless expenditure, unauthorized expenditure, as well as irregular expenditure, all of those were skyrocketing. And the departments were not complying in terms of what was expected from doing them. The report of the Auditor General today, Honorable Chairperson, is showing positive signs of development. It is showing positive signs of delivery. It's showing positive signs of improvement of the audit opinions. And as we indicated in the report, we want to once more register the fact that the national government needs to attend 
to the issues of human settlement because out of all the departments showing the improvement that was there, human settlement has regressed and this particular area need to be given the necessary attention. And we are happy that the national department, national government has identified this as a problem that needs an urgent attention. And on that score, we say all the processes need to be expedited to ensure that housing delivery happens. Because once you provide housing to the people of the Northwest, you provide them with water, and we also provide them with access to sanitary facilities. And we'd like to welcome that particular point. Indeed, as we pointed out in our report, we welcome the emergence of stability that we see in different departments. One of the priorities of the national government under the leadership of Dr. Nkosra Zuma was to ensure that all the positions are filled at a senior level. As it was indicated, the Director General on a substantive basis in the Northwest has been appointed that three HODs in the Department of Agriculture, in the Department of Health, and in the Department of Social Development have been filled. And we again further looking forward to ensure that all other positions are filled. But we also raised, and we need to impress this particular point about the fact that they need to be capacitated and capacity development need to happen so that the national government at a time that they exceed the Northwest province, they leave a very strong legacy in terms of service delivery and accountability. And that can only be achieved if that particular area is giving the necessary attention and we welcome that. And we also welcome the fact that the national government is prioritizing the promulgation of the new legislation that will ensure that interventions are done in a consistent, coherent and balanced way. And there is a modality that the government follows in terms of, in cases that uh, there is an invocation of section 100 in all, the, in, in all the provinces. And that will necessarily, honorable chairperson, apply in respect of municipalities where in which 139 interventions are invoked by the provincial government. And this, in our view, we think it will go a long way in terms of dealing with those particular issues. Lastly, chairperson, I want to talk to how we did our work as a committee. We were robust, we were clear in terms of our articulations, we were exercising in independence, and we were looking at issues, not from party political point of view, but as, as true representatives of this particular house. We worked in unison, and I think in the main, we agreed with the thrust of this report, and we agreed that the challenges that are facing the Northwest province need to be dealt with appropriately. And we all agreed in unison that we needed to extricate the Northwest province from the quagmire that it was finding itself in. And this we agreed as political parties. But I don't know what has happened at the time that we adopted the report. Some political parties, some assaulted. I don't know what has happened 
when we are debating here, is it because now we are going to the local government elections? Because in the main, political parties are now showing their colors. They pander into political populism. They attack the report. They direct vitriolic attacks to all this, the good work that we have secured. And I don't think that this is a good spirit in which we must attend to the issues that are facing us. But that will not deter us, Honorable Chairperson. We will move forward and we are, great, we are grateful of the strides that the national government has made under Dr. Nkosasana Zuma. Throughout the process, the MTT under her leadership was able to intervene, was able to help the committee, was able to solve whatever the issues that we were facing us. And in that sense, we really appreciate the contribution that they made to arrive at the point where we are, where we submitted a report before this particular house. But going forward, honorable chairperson, I think what has happened in the Northwest should be a lesson for the country. It should be something that must never happen again. It must be something that must be avoided, that a provincial government acted in the way that the provincial government of the Northwest acted. We don't need that. Our people are yearning for service delivery. Our people are yearning for better and quality education. They are yearning for healthcare facilities. They are yearning for road infrastructure. And this is what the government at all material times must do to ensure that whatever it does, it doesn't plunder the resources of the state. It doesn't pillage uh, what is not belonging to them. And those who are entrusted with the leadership responsibilities must act in a way that will emulate two regions that we visited uh, in the course of our oversight work. We went to the Dr. Kenneth Kaunda region and today we all pay homage to Dr. Kenneth Kaunda for the indelible contribution that he made in bringing about freedom, not only in South Africa, but throughout the African continent. And we say that whatever that we do, let the leadership at those levels emulate his example, emulate his virtue, and emulate the way he would have loved us to behave and do things when we are appointed or elected in the leadership position. But equally, as we pointed out, we were in the Ngakamudirimulema region, an important region that was named after the former treasurer general of the ANC, Dr. Nakamudirimuleme made an indelible contribution too in terms of the liberation of this country. And wherever he is, he would turn in his grave because his four beers are not doing his four beers are not doing what is expected of them. And on that particular note, as I indicated, we would like to thank everybody, including the staff that was all available for, for us to give service to us, to ensure that we take this particular process to the majestic heights. And in that case, we really want to thank everybody else. On that way, thank you very much. And as I indicated, Honorable Chairperson, this particular debate has enriched us, has enlightened us, and going forward for the implication of the future perspective, we would know in terms of how we must deal with the issues and the challenges of the hour in the way that they will inspire us, they will, in, they will serve as an inspiration the time is up, to do better 
to ensure that we achieve our ultimate objectives. On that note, yes, indeed, thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable Dodobu. That marks the, the end of the, of the debate. Yeah, Chinese. Uh, and thank you very much, Honorable I now put the question. Thank the you, question China. is that the report be adopted. Uh, before we proceed to voting, I shall now allow presenters the opportunity to make the declaration of, of vote in terms of Rule 71, uh, if they so wish. Again, if there are to be declarations, please remember three minutes per declaration. Any province wishing to make a declaration? None. We will then proceed to voting on the question. And the question is that the report be adopted. Uh, I now call upon provinces to cast their votes. When called upon heads of, de of delegations must indicate whether they vote in favor, against, or abstain. Uh, we'll start with the, with the Eastern Cape. Eastern Cape. No, thank you very much, Eastern uh, Cape. Free State? Free State supports Honorable Chairperson of the Council. Free State supports Kauteng? Kauteng in support, Honorable Chairperson. Kauteng supports Wazulu uh, Natal? In favor, Limpopo. Limpopo support in favor, Honorable Chairperson. Limpopo support in favor, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you very much. Mpumalanga. Mpumalanga support, Chairperson. Well, I support the report. Northern Cape. Northern, Northern Cape support, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you. Support Northwest. Northwest support, Chairperson. Northwest supports Western Cape. Western Cape does not support in the current format. Thank uh, you. Western, Western Cape is against. Um, now that voting has been done, uh, uh, the results are as follows. Eight provinces voted uh, in favor. Uh, I therefore declare a report adopted in accordance with section 65 of the constitution. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I will then hand over to Honorable Lucas. Thank you. Honorable Lucas. Thank you, Chairperson. I'm here. We are continuing. And thank you very much to all of those that participated in the, in the previous debate. A very important point. And also express appreciation to the Minister of Cocta for her consistency in attending issues around the, the National Council of Provinces. We will now proceed to the second order. And that is the consideration of the report of Select Committee on Transport, Public Service and Administration, Public Works and Infrastructure, thereon. 
So we will now call on the Honorable MK Musimane Hape Kenny Muimang to present the committee report. Over to you, Honorable Muimang. The Select Committee on Transport, Public Service and Administration, Public Works and Infrastructure uh, is presenting the draft uh, minimum service delivery standards uh, in terms of Section 75.6 of the National Road Traffic Act number 93 of 1996. Honorable Chair, the, the uh, Select Committee having uh, considered the draft minimum standards uh, in relation to the uh, mentioned Act, would like to uh, outline how the processes uh, unfolded. Uh, in terms of Section 75.6 of the National Road Traffic Act, before the minister makes any uh, regulations, the minister may, if he or she deems it expedient, uh, cause a draft of the proposed uh, regulations to be uh, published in the Gazette together with a notice, together uh, with a notice causing, calling upon all interested persons to lodge uh, in writing and within a period specified in the notice, but not less than four weeks as from the date of the publication of the notice, any objections or representation which they would uh, like to raise or make with the Director General for the submission to the Minister, uh, provided that if the Minister thereafter decides to alter the draft regulations as a result of any objections or representation submitted there on, it shall not be necessary so to publish such alteration before the uh, uh, making of the regulation. Honorable Chair, just the background uh, of this, a draft minimum standards uh, is an integral part of the battle uh, 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 implementation uh, 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 of those principles. Uh, it was prompted by the uh, by the uh, program of the presidency in terms of its uh, unannounced visit to, to service uh, uh, stations. And as a result thereof, uh, given uh, the, uh, the, those unannounced visits, uh, the uh, president uh, uh, commissioned both uh, the uh, uh, Department of Transport, uh, which was identified as a pilot, together with the uh, Department of Public Service Administration to following the, following uh, the, uh, those announced visits to uh, craft a minimum, a minimum uh, 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 standards that needed to be adhered to in terms of uh, implementing the battle principles. Uh, of course, uh, the first draft, there were some challenges that were raised uh, and uh, uh, Working groups were again uh, uh, created to ensure that indeed the minimum standards are taken to its logical conclusion. As a result thereof, Chair, this draft minimum standards uh, were presented to the, were referred to the committee on the 29th January 2021. And the Department of Transport briefed the committee on the 9th of June 2021. 
Uh, on the same day, the committee deliberated and made the following inputs and isolated three issues. One was that the, drive, the driving license testing centers should address all the difficulties experienced by the public when renewing lenses. Two, that the Department of Transport should create an interface on its website, an electronic license renewal. Three, that the committee urged provincial departments of transport and municipalities to adopt the digital licensing system. And four, that the Department of Transport uh, be urged to roll out infrastructure to accommodate the accessibility for people living uh, with disabilities. The department, Honorable uh, Deputy Chair, was urged to roll out infrastructure to accommodate uh, these uh, minimum standards uh, with a view to ensure that uh, uh, there are no stumbling blocks identified in terms of uh, adhering uh, to these minimum standards. Of course, we are mindful of the fact that uh, uh, these minimum standards and also this uh, 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 impulse that the committee made and also the uh, adherence to these standards across the board will have financial implications. Therefore, it is our humble plea uh, that uh, in terms of budgeting, uh, the uh, necessary uh, uh, municipalities and provincial uh, transport departments must make sure that the uh, necessary uh, 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 funding is set aside for the implementation of this minimum standard as it is an integral part of ensuring that indeed we leave uh, the principles of Patopele. So therefore, uh, Honorable Deputy Chair, the committee agreed to this minimum standards uh, that, were, that, that, were, that, that were referred to it. Therefore, the recommendation that were put into the House, Honorable Chair, uh, is that uh, this report, uh, as indicated in terms of the standard, be agreed to. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Moiman. I will now put the question, and the question is that the report be adopted. But before we proceed to the voting, we shall call on provinces the opportunity to make declarations of vote in terms of Rule 71, if they so wish. Anyone that want to make a declaration, you've got an opportunity now. If none, if none, we will we shall proceed on the voting to on the question. And the question is that the report be adopted, and we shall now call on the provinces to cast their votes. Our heads of delegations must indicate whether they vote in favor, against, or abstain. And we will then start with Easter Cape. Uh, Chairperson, Eastern Cape says support the report. Thank you very much, uh, His Royal Highness. Free State. Free State supports Honorable Deputy Chairperson of the Council. Thank you very much. Gauteng. Gauteng support Honorable Deputy Chairperson. Thank you very much. KwaZulu Natal. Iguazulu Natalia is again a second star doing the report. Yeah, Wanga Mama Limpopo. Shana Mamba would take a coming Lama course. Limpopo support. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Limpopo Pumalanga. 
Umalanga vote in favor, Chairperson. Thank you very much, Northern Cape. Northern Cape support Honorable Chairperson. Thank you very much, yes. Northwest. No, Northwest support Honorable Chair. Thank you, Honorable Chwaile. Western Cape. <laughs> Western Cape support. Thank you very much. The voting is now closed. All provinces voted in favor. And we shall therefore declare the report adopted in accordance with Section 65 of the Constitution. Honorable Delegates, let us proceed to the third order of the day, which is the consideration of the report of Select Committee on Trade and Industry, Economic Development, Small Business Development, Tourism, Employment and Labor, in terms of the ILO Convention concerning the Elimination of Violence and Harassment in the World of Work Convention 2019. Number 190, dated 25th May 2021. I will now call on the Honorable M.I. Hai to present the committee report. Honorable Hai, over to you. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Deputy Chairperson. Greetings to the Chairperson of the NCOP, uh, the Minister of uh, uh, COCTA, uh, MECs present, uh, other special delegates and permanent delegates. Uh, uh, good afternoon. Um, on the 25th of May 2021, the committee was briefed by the Department of Employment and Labor on the International Labor Organization, ILO Convention, concerning the elimination of violence and harassment in the World of Work Convention 2019, number 190. The convention protects workers and other persons in the world of work, including employees as defined by the national law and practice as well as persons working irrespective of their contractual status, persons in training, including interns and apprentices, workers whose employment has been terminated, volunteers, job seekers, and job applicants, and individuals exercising the authority, duties, or responsibility of an employer. Further, the convention applies to all sectors, whether private or public, both in formal and informal economy, and whether in urban or rural areas. The convention applies to violence and harassment in the world of work occurring in the course of, linked with, or arising out of work. The instances it covers the following in the workplace, including public and private spaces where they are, they are a place of work. Places where the workers is paid, takes a rest, break, or meal, or uses sanitary, or washing and changing facilities. During work-related trips, travel, training, events, or social activities. Through work-related communications, including those enabled by information and communication technologies. In the employer-provided accommodation and when commuting to and from work. This instrument covers all types of harm, not only physical, but also psychological, sexual, or economic harm. The convention is one of the historic achievements against the fight on gender-based violence. This instrument would enable countries to adopt laws, policies, and mechanisms aimed at preventing violence and harassment in the world of work, protecting workers, and establishing remedies for victims. This international instrument was made on the 21st, June 2019, at the International Labor Conference. The trade unions, civil society, and women's organization 
have longed for this convention. The responsibilities of employers, which have the primary responsibility to create a work environment free from violence and harassment, as well as the roles and responsibilities of trade union and workers are clearly defined. This instrument has placed a fight against gender-based violence, particularly the most vulnerable women at global level. There isn't a single piece of international instrument that places the pain of women at the international level, like this uh, convention is doing. This instrument recognizes the impact of violence and harassment in the world of work and the right of everyone to a world of work free of violence, including gender-based violence. Violence and harassment undermine efforts to realize social cohesion. It constrains energies of progressive forces to advocate for decent work. It is a violation of human rights. The committee unanimously agreed that this house approved the conversion. This is one of the historic marks in the, high, in the fight against gender-based violence in our society. Therefore, the Select Committee on Trade and Industry, Economic Development, Small Business Development, Tourism, Employment and Labor, having considered the request from the Department of Labor and Employment, uh, for approval by Parliament of the International Labor Organization ILO Convention concerning the elimination of violence and harassment in the world of work convention 2019 number 190. Recommends that the Council in terms of section 2312 of the Constitution approve the said convention. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Deputy Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable High. I will now put the question, and the question is that the report be adopted. But before we proceed to the voting, I shall allow provinces the opportunity to make their declarations of vote in terms of Rule 71, if they so wish. Any indication of a province that want to make a declaration? If none, I will now call upon the provinces to cast their votes. When called upon heads of delegations, they must indicate yes. They must indicate whether they vote in favor, against, or abstain. And we will now start with Eastern Cape. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. Um, Kiva here from the Eastern Cape. Uh, we vote in favor of the adoption of the report. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Member. Free State. Uh, thanks, uh, Deputy Chairperson of the Council. Free State vote in favor of the report. Thank you, Free, uh, Honorable Member Houting. Gauteng votes in favor of the report, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you very much. KwaZulu Natal. Yabonga Sali, KwaZulu Natalia, yes, and the report, Mama. Yabonga Mama, Limpopo. Limpopo support the report, Honorable David Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Member Mpumalanga. Mpumalanga vote in favor, Honorable Deputy Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Nkosi, Northern Cape. Northern okay, Cape, vote in favor, Honorable Chairperson. Northwest. Northwest. Northwest, vote in favor, Honorable Leadership. Can Northwest decide who is voting? And so that we hear one voice, should we accept that Honorable Chwile is the one voting? So we don't want confusion. We accept Northwest. Thank you, Honorable MC. Again. Again. Western Cape. Western Cape support. Thank you very much, Honorable Abskahni. The voting is now closed. 
all provinces voted in favor, so we will therefore declare the report adopted in accordance with the section 65 of the Constitution. Thank you very, very much, honorable members. We will now proceed to the fourth order, consideration of report of Select Committee on Security and Justice, draft amended regulations, tabled in terms of section 23.2 of the Legal Aid South Africa Act 2014, Act number 39 of 2014, dated 26 May 2021. And we will call on the Honorable Sheikh to present the committee report. Honorable Sheikh, over to you. Thank you very much, Honorable Deputy Chaperson, and greetings to all honorable members. Honorable Deputy Chaperson, the Minister of Justice and Correctional Services on the 20th of January 2021 tabled in Parliament amendments to a number of regu regulations in terms of the Legal Aid South Africa Act 39 of 2014. In terms of the Act, the Minister must make regulations relating to the provision of legal aid, instances in civil and criminal matters where legal aid is not provided, provision of limited legal aid and under which circumstances that happens, requirements or criteria that an applicant must comply with in order to quantify, to, in order to qualify for legal aid and terms and conditions in which legal aid is made available to the applicant. Honorable Deputy Chair, the Minister must also make regulations relating to the policy on the approval or refusal of legal aid, termination of legal aid, and appeals against refusal or termination of legal aid, and any matter that is necessary or expedient for the proper implementation or administration of the Legal Aid South Africa Act. Honorable Deputy Chair, the Legal Aid South African Act 2014 also provides that the Minister must make regulations after receiving recommendations from the Legal Aid South Africa Board. Any regulations made must be tabled in Parliament by the Minister for approval before publication in terms of Section 23, Subsection 1 of the Act. The Minister has tabled nine amended regulations that requires Parliament's approval before they can be gazetted. The, amendment, the amendments proposed are in respect of Regulations 9, 11, 13, 14, 15, 23, 27, 31, and 32. The draft amended regulations referred to the committee on the 2nd of February, 2021, and on the 10th of March, the committee was briefed on the amendments, noting the following with regard to the content of the amended regulations. Regulation 9 deals with civil matters. The amendment of Regulation 9 provides clarity that a waiting period can be allowed in civil matters to manage demand for civil legal services. In practice, the waiting period is already used and the amendment seeks to confirm this practice. And the new sub-regulation 6 provides for matters which must be prioritized when such a waiting period is applied. This criteria was already used in practice. The amendment to regulation 11 seeks to correct a technical error to the existing regulation. 11 sub subsection 3, to rectify a typographical error in the prov proviso to ensure that Legal Aid South Africa can, can only assist in claims that exceed the small claims court's jurisdiction by more than 50%. Regulation 13 deals with maintenance, domestic violence, and harassment cases. Regulation 13 subclause 1 is substituted and the reference to a person over 60 years of age is omitted from the amended sub-regulation, which requires that in maintenance, domestic violence, or protection from harassment act matters, legal aid may be granted for an initial consultation to 
A, advise the applicant on his or her rights. B, the procedure he or she can follow. And C, his or her prospect of success. Regulation 13 sub, sub, sub 2 has, is amended by the addition of a subsection C at the end of the at the end to provide that legal aid may be granted if the legal aid applicant is over 60 years of age or is disabled. This will make it easier for disabled and elderly applicants to qualify for legal aid and will increase access for vulnerable groups. Regulation 14 deals with labor cases and the proposed amendment to Regulation 14 sub 1c will ensure that assistance to enforce CCMA awards is provided where clients cannot proceed without the intervention of a legal practitioner. Regulation 15 deals with divorce and family, case, family law cases. The proposed substitution of Regulation 15 subclause to C will, will bring clarity and address any misrepresentation regarding the merits of a client's divorce claim as opposed to whether a divorce order will be granted. The proposed rewording of Regulation 15 subclause to C will focus the resources of Legal Aid South Africa on matters where clients are vulnerable or will suffer substantial injustice. The other divorces uh, will mostly be uncontested ones and self-help assistance for clients will be available on Legal Aid South Africa's website and clients will be, will be assisted with legal advice by Legal Aid South Africa paralegals. The Registrar of the Regional Courts will also be able to assist in uncontested divorces. In terms of Regulation 23, the amendments to subsection 8 is proposed to correct an error and to clarify that children are assisted with monetary claims even when they, they fall within the small claims court jurisdiction. This is a formalization of how the matter is dealt with in practice. Regulation 27 deals with the means test. The proposed amendment seeks to make provision for an automatic annual increase in the means test threshold for the CPI without requiring Legal Aid South Africa to go through the formal and rigorous process of amending the regulations. Regulation 31, <clears throat> currently our Honorable Chair Legal Aid and criminal matters can be partially subsidized if in terms of the means test, an applicant does not qualify for full legal aid. The substitution of Regulation 31 subclause 1 with a new provision seeks to remove the reference to criminal matter and thereby include civil matters as matters for which partially subsidized legal aid can be granted. The insertion of subregulation 2D is a consequential amendment to include civil matters that meet the Regulation 9 subclause 1 criteria in the scheme for subsidized legal aid. The proposed amendment to Regulation 32 subclause 1 now makes provision for contributions to also be levied in civil matters where the means test is exceeded. This is a consequential amendment to Regulation 32 to give effect to the inclusion of civil matters in Regulation 31. Honorable Chairperson, in conclusion, the proposed amendments do not result in any significant policy change. Technical correct, corrections will align policy to the actual position. Legal aid's limited resources for its civil work will be directed to the most vulnerable. Duplication of services between the Commission for Conciliation, Mediation and Arbitration and Legal Aid South Africa will be eliminated and the means tests will keep pace with inflation without requiring annual revisions to the regulations. Honorable Deputy Chair, the committee having considered the subject of the draft amended regulations made in terms of the Legal Aid South Africa Act 2014, referred to it 
reports that, that it has agreed to the draft regulations without proposing amendments and recommends that the National Council of Provinces approve the draft amended regulations as stable. I thank you, Honorable Deputy Chair. Thank you, Honorable Sheikh. I will now put the Honorable question. Honorable Sheikh. And the question is that the report be adopted. But before we proceed to voting, I shall allow provinces the opportunity to make the declarations of vote in terms of Rule 71 if they so wish. Any province that want to make a declaration of vote? If none, I shall now call on the provinces to cast their votes. And uh, let us immediately start with Eastern Cape. Uh, Deputy Chairperson, thanks for giving me the opportunity. The Eastern Cape is in support of the report. Thank you very much. Thank you, Honorable Member. Free State. Free State supports the report. Thank you. Gauteng. Gauteng in support, Chairperson. Thank you very much. KwaZulu Natal. It was Luna Talia saying a second as Talo Mama report. Mpompa support the report, Deputy Chairperson. Thank you very much, Pumalanga. Pumalanga supports the reports, uh, Deputy Chairperson. Thank you. Thank you very much, Northern Cape. Northern Cape supports, Honorable Deputy Chair. Thank you very much, Northwest. Northwest support honorable leadership. Thank you very much, honorable MEC, Western Cape. Western Cape support. Thank you very much, honorable Abskarni. The voting is now closed. All provinces voted in favor, and we shall therefore declare the report adopted in accordance with section 65 of the constitution. Thank you very much, honorable delegates. We will now proceed to the oration of condolences on the passing of His Excellency Kenneth Kahunda, the former president of the Republic of Zambia, the founder of the Zambia African National Congress and the leader of the Union Party of Zambia. And I will call upon the, uh, the chairperson, Honorable A. Masondo, to start the orations. Honorable Masondo, over to you. Yes. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Deputy Chairperson. Uh, Honorable uh, Sylvia Lucas, House Chairperson for Committees and Oversight, Honorable Chomonyambi, House Chairperson for International Relations and Member Support, Honorable Wini Nguenya, Chief Whip of the National Council of Provinces, Honorable Seiso Mohai, Honorable Permanent and Special Delegates. David Jefferson, I feel highly honored to lead the oration of condolences by this house on the passing of His Excellency Kenneth Kaunda, former president of the Republic of Zambia under the topic, paying tribute to a fallen African giant who remained in the forefront of the fight for liberation in Africa. Born in April 1924 at Lubwa Mission in the Northern province of the Republic of Zambia, Kenneth Kaunda became the first president of an independent republic in October 
1964. Kaunda started playing a continental role in 1963 when he became president of the Pan-African Freedom Movement for East, Central, and Southern Africa. He extended his influence to the global level after Zambia's independence, serving as chairperson of the Organization of African Unity from 1970 to, to 19, 19, 1971, and from 1987 to 1988. Kaunda's victory or success to become the President of the Republic of Zambia ushered in a new era in the struggle against colonial domin domination in Southern Africa. As we all know, he allowed liberation movements from Angola, South Africa, Mozambique, Namibia, and Zimbabwe to use his country as a launch pad, as some would say, or a base for the struggle against white minority, minority rule. We share the sentiments expressed by those who, upon his death, described him as generous, affable, and a selfless leader who dedicated his life in freeing the region and the continent from colonialism. As a leader, Kaunda believed in the power of education. He saw education as a foundation in the process of building a nation. When he took over the, the reins, Zambia's education system was one of the most poorly developed in all of Britain's former colonies. His government invest, invested heavily in the education at all levels. He instituted, instituted a policy where all children, irrespective of, the, of their parents' ability to pay, were given free exercise books, pens, and pencils. The parents' main responsibility was to buy uniforms, pay a token school fee, and ensure that the children attended school. This approach meant that the best pupils were promoted to achieve their best results all the way from primary school to university level. A great friend indeed of, of the South African liberation struggle. Kaunda was close to veterans of the liberation movement, such as Oliver Tambo, Walter Sisulu, Chris Rani, and many others. He maintained his support for liberation movements despite Pretoria's policy aimed at destabilization of governments in the region. The presence of the African National Congress and the Zimbabwe African People's Union resulted in cooperation between the Rhodesian and South African security forces in arresting cadres returning from Zambia. Kaunda played an important role in assisting Oliver Tambo to set up an ANC office in Lusaka. Zambia became the home of the ANC for more than a decade. This bolstered the work of the ANC as part of the broader liberation movement, which sought to put an end to white minority rule in South Africa. A man of peace, indeed, Kaunda became instrumental in the initiation of a series of meetings from, late, from the late 
1984 onwards between the exile at ANC and groupings from within South Africa. The process saw wide groupings, including prominent Africaners and big businessmen, but also representatives of anti-apartheid organizations for the first time initiating contact with the liberation movement. The meetings led to the, to the eventual dissolution of the forms of prohibition placed on the liberation movement and the eventual return and democratic elections in 1994. Later in 1989, when Tambo collapsed, suffering from a stroke, Kaunda intervened by organizing a plane that carried him from Lusaka to London. Kaunda's role in South Africa's liberation struggle runs very, very deep. As early as 1964, he sought to persuade the apartheid government to release Nelson Mandela and other prisoners. One of the options he sought was for Mandela and his colleagues to be imprisoned in Zambia rather than in South Africa. It is no wonder that after his release from prison in 1990, Mandela's first destination outside of South Africa was Zambia. In December 2002, Kaunda was awarded the Order of the Companions of O.R. Tam. Uh, this is the highest award that the, the country can, can bestow on its citizens or foreign nationals by South, South African uh, government. He was also awarded the Ubuntu Award by the Nash, National Heritage Council in 2007 for his role in the struggle against apartheid in South Africa. To continue his vocation as a peace broker in 1991, Kaunda founded the Kenneth Kaunda Peace Foundation dedicated to the establishment of peace and conflict resolution on the, on the, on the continent. KK left us with many lessons uh, on leadership. He believed in the existence of a clear vision and that to achieve the vision, one needs to stay resolute and demonstrate as much as possible the qualities of what he or she seeks to achieve. And importantly, to work hard and not tire in the pursuit of the common good. There, KK was a man of integrity, a visionary. His passing is a painful loss to the African continent. His life was the embodiment of the philosophy of Ubuntu, Ubuntu that speaks to the universal bond of caring and sharing that connects all of, you, all of humanity. This was his trademark. It is thus fitting that President Cyril Ramaphosa directed that the national flags be flown at half-mast at all flag stations as a tribute uh, to this fallen hero. We commend the present decisions to honor President Ken Kenneth K.K. Kaunda in this way, a genuine expression of our national grief at the passing of a beloved and, and right, rightfully revered father of the African independence and, and unity. 
May his family and the people of Zambia find strength in the fact that President uh, Kaunda helped to liberate many, many more people well beyond the borders of his own country. We are with them, uh, with, with the family during this period of mourning. We are with the people of Zambia during uh, this difficult uh, uh, period. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you. We will now call on Honorable Nana to continue with the oration. Thank you very much, Deputy Chairperson. Uh, honorable members, firstly, I would like to I would like to express my sincere gratitude to my leader in the NCOP, Honorable Kekela Peskachner, and the DA contingent in the NCOP for showing confidence in me to deliver a message on behalf of my party, to deliver an oration of condolences on the passing of His Excellency Kenneth K.K. Kaunda, the first post-colonial era president of the Republic of, Zim of, of Zambia. It is indeed my singular honor and privilege. Today's theme says, and I quote, paying tribute to a fallen African giant who remained in the forefront of the fight for liberation in Africa. Close quote. Honorable members, this theme could not have been more befitting and appropriate. On the 18th of June, 2021, the DA's federal leader and the leader of the, of the official opposition in parliament Honorable John Stienazen released a statement upon receiving the sad news, and I quote, the DA extends its heartfelt condolences to the people of Zambia and the Kaunda family on the passing of the former president, Kenneth Kaunda. Zambia and Africa has lost one of its most influential and respected leaders. Kenneth Kaunda spent his long life, sorry, Kenneth Kaunda spent his long life in the dedicated service of his country, first as a liberator and then as a leader. He was the last of a generation that spearheaded the fight for a post-colonial Africa in the mid to late 20th century, showing principled solidarity with the Southern African neighbors in their own struggles. Later in life, his campaigning for HIV testing and treatment did much to counter the stigma of the virus and encourage people to know their status and seek treatment. Kenneth Kaunda leaves behind a significant legacy and an important contribution to the freedom of Zambians. May, his, may he rest in peace and may the people of Zambia find comfort in their time of grieving. Close quotes. Honorable members, it was the spring of 1989 in Alice, and it still felt like middle of winter. The wheels of the liberation struggle were in full unstoppable swing, but so was the repression and brutality of the regime. The late Waltasi Sulu has just been released from Robben Island. A young man in his late teens has once again attracted 
the, the, the attention of the internal security branch. At the time, the Congress of South African Students was banned. So students organized themselves based on their geographical location. The, the young man who like many others of his age thought he was the best thing ever to occur under the sun. He was as tough as Tarzan. He was as brave as Superman and intelligent as Batman. Despite all his would-be attributes, geography was not his strongest point. He was the secretary of the early student Congress at the time and represented students in the local unit of the, of, of the United Democratic Front. Like all students, money, always difficult, money is always difficult to come by. The UDF irritated by students' endless requests for funding. They gave, they gave ASCO t-shirts of, of Isitualandwe that had just been released to sell and raise funds for themselves. With only a few t-shirts sold, the internal security branch paid him a visit looking for the rest of the consignment. During torture on the verge of spilling the beans, the young man who by his own admission geography was not his strong point, was asked which country was the ANC's, ANC's headquarters. He boldly replied, Lusaka, much to a big laughter of his captors. His geography may have not been his strong point or did not know Lusaka was actually in Zambia, but at least he knew the man with the white handkerchief was, was, was Kenneth Kaunda, the president of Lusaka. Like many other frontline states, President Kaunda risked the security of his own people by providing shelter to the banned and exiled ANC. He took this massive risk because he knew Africa can never be completely free unless South Africa was free. Honorable members, the story of our liberation can never be complete without mentioning the sacrifice and contribution of Kenneth Kaunda and the people of Zambia. It is for this reason that as a nation, we must always honor love and, and reciprocate the favor to these people who made untold sacrifices for our country to be free today. Amongst his plethora of achievements alongside the president of Ghana, amongst his plethora of achievements, he alongside the president of Ghana, Kwame Nkrumah and Emperor Haile Selassie is the formation of the Organization of African Unity, the, pre the predecessor to, to the African Union whose chief objective is to foster unity amongst Africans and, and end political instability to the continent. As recent as last month, we witnessed rather unfortunate scenes in which members of Pan-African Parliament violently torn one another, going against the hopes and wishes of the golden generation. I kept thinking to myself that the founders must be turning on their graves at what has become of Pan-African Parliament. And without doubt, President Kaunda must have been left astounded in disbelief. He departs the betting crease short, 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 short of only three runs to, to reach his maiden century.
the top order batsman in President Kaunda was dropped at first slip, later at Silimit on, but he went on to score a, a remarkable 97 not out. Umti omkulu uwil. Umti omkulu uwil. Uwile umsimbiti wezwekazi Afrika. Liwile ivulanjela lezwekazi Afrika. Liwile ikalanga lezwekazi Afrika. Liwile ikalale mkululeko yezwekazi Afrika. Iwile insika yesizwe i Afrika. Uwile umnuma okunandizulu mshali kekeza kuizwekazi i Afrika. Liwili tolelo mtonya. Iveka loku imbongi yesizwe umfoka mkai wa senta bozuku. Umbongo wake ukuzika kukamindi. Uti. Ewe lendo kakate indo ya londo. Tinando za zio asotuka ngando. Sibona kamshope sitibeku mele. Si, si tete ngundwini. Siti kufanele. Kabe kungenjalo, bekunga ikulunga. Ngako kesotase, kwa kala ukulunga. Lenganawa umendi na mshayendisili. Nati ikaziletu lisikonzisili. Tutuzelekani ngoko zingedama. Tutuzelekani ngoko bafazana. Ufa omye kade emini wakiwa omye. Kukonza, kukonza omnye kade ze kupile abanye. Ngalama azwisiti tutuzelegani. Ngokwenje njikwe tusiti ya kekani. Litateni el, elabadala ipalo kubabati akushanga lungesio. Close quote. Inga umpefumlo wake ufumane ukupumla ukumioli banapakade. Onda ngandini ba keba mlindi lenga pesha kwenchambu. Nkosi kakumu. Nkosi chola. Awo samele chola. He spoke like the Congress movement. It was. It was. Let's continue and then as the Honorable Makao said to continue with the oration. Thank you Deputy Chairperson of the NCOP Honorable Lucas. The economic freedom fighters joins Africa and the world paying tribute and honors to Zambia's first president, Dr. Kenneth Gaunda. One of the most difficult things we have to do is to speak of Dr. Gaunda in the past. And we argue that it is possible to do so because Dr. Gaunda is one of those very few individuals in the world whose life was not of a time, but of all ages. His name and his work will live with us forever. His contribution to the freedom we now enjoy can never be forgotten. His commitment to the principle of African unity will drive us forward as we march on towards that elusive goal of uniting all our people under the banner of Pan-Africanism. Chairperson, 
Dr. Kenneth Kaunda sacrificed the freedom and happiness of his own people so that he could help us attain our freedom. He did this because he knew that it is impossible for any country in Africa to, to proclaim to be free whilst the rest of the continent is not. For this, Chairperson Zambia was bombed repeatedly by the evil apartheid regime. The development of the country was curtailed because Dr. Kenneth Kaunda wanted us to be free. He also demonstrated that, Chairperson, that freedom in Africa means nothing if people as a whole do not own the means of production. Therefore, he decided to take the revolutionary step of nationalizing all copper mines in Zambia to ensure that the Zambian wealth belonged to Zambian people. He was not scared of what white people would say or think as some leaders in South Africa are today when we speak as the EFF about expropriation of land without compensation. Chairperson Dr. Kaunda, who passed on at the age of 97, will be remembered as the only leader of a sovereign state in the world who granted headquarters to all liberation movements of colonized African states. As an astute statement amongst the few who hosted Frelimo of Mozambique, Swapo of Zambia, Zapo of Zimbabwe, and ANC of South Africa, at a great cost of financial threat by the Western countries and military attacks by Smith of Rhodesia and Botha of Year South Africa. As the economic freedom fighters were the only true heirs of the ideas that Dr. Kenneth Gaunda and others founding fathers of African liberation stood for. We want all minerals in this country to belong to the people of South Africa as a whole. We want all the land to be returned to those who are, who are stolen from. We want a true freedom for everyone in this continent. May the revolutionary soul of Dr. Kenneth Gaunda rest in eternal peace. As an organization, the Economic Freedom Fighters, we shall pick up the spear and continue the fight. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Mokansi. We will now call on the Honorable Ngwezi to continue with the oration. Thank you very much, Honorable Deputy Chairperson of the NCOP. As Inkata, as the then Inkata Inkululego essays were known to him and formed upon his advice, alongside, along with the rest of Africa, we learned with great sadness of the passing of the founding president of Zambia, Dr. Kenneth Kaunda, who died on the 17th of June, 2021. Dr. Kaunda was not only a leader of the Zambian people, but he led many countries, especially in the Southern Africa, to achieve their independence from the British rule. Dr. Kaunda was one of the last generations of Africa's liberation leaders. Therefore, his death is a great loss to the whole continent. Our leader, Prince Mangosu Tukchelezi, reflected on Zambia's role in providing a sanctuary to South Africa's exile during the struggle against apartheid. The Ngoni people and the Zulu nation have enjoyed good relations. This was shown at the Nwala traditional ceremony in Zambia, 
where Prince Mutelezi was reunited and engaged with President Kaunda. This tribute from the IFP is proof that our good actions will follow us and even make a lifelong impact after we have passed on. Even though we are grieving and saddened by the passing of Dr. Kaunda, we also celebrate a life that was well lived, a selfless life of sacrificing for the benefit of the people. We owe an outstanding debt of gratitude to the heroes such as Dr. Kaunda, who took the personal responsibility, courage and commitment to sacrifice for the continent's liberation. As a people-centered party, centered party, we aim to carry on his, this, this legacy through the spirit of Ubuntu Bot, a foundation of all human interaction. Africa has certainly lost a tireless soldier, a fighter, a liberator, and a person of great, of great exceptional integrity. So Dr. Kaunda, Thank you very much, Honorable Nguezi. We will now call on the Honorable S.G. Mohai, Chief Whip of the House, to conclude the oration. Thank you, Deputy Chair of the NCOP. And let me recognize the Presidium of the NCOP, led by the Chairperson, Honorable Masondo. Honorable members, distinguished special delegates, Minister of International Relations and Corporations, Dr. Pando in absentia, fellow South Africans. Over the last few days, both the print and electronic newsrooms across the length and breadth of the world were abuzz with the news of the passing away of one of the finest sons of Africa, the architect of African unity and independence, a great visionary and unifier of unparalleled stature amongst his peers, a Pan-Africanist till the end, and the founding president of the Republic of Zambia, the late Dr. Kaunda. Chairperson, I'm sure this house would agree that there is no language under the sun that will describe the revolutionary selflessness fearlessness, courageousness, and the peace and freedom-loving persona in the late Dr. Kaunda. This is a man who, at a great cost to his people and the country, believed that his own freedom and that of his people are inseparably linked to the freedom of the people of South Africa, the SADC region, and the entire African continent. An internationalist of unparalleled stature, who dedicated his entire life for world peace and justice. As a visionary, a great African revolutionary strategist and elder statesman, Comrade Kaunda played a critical role in brokering a ceasefire between South African liberation movement led by the ANC and the apartheid white minority regime. We owe the peaceful coexistence we are enjoying today to his courage of conviction and outstanding leadership qualities. This, he did this not out of cowardice or revolutionary fatigue, but because of his deep conviction that the negotiated settlement of South 
African and Namibian political conflict are the basis for lasting peace and prosperity of all the people of South Africa, SADC region, and the entire African continent. Kenneth Kaunda, together with his compatriots in arms, the late Malimu, Nyerere, Agostino Neto, Samara Machel, and Robert Mugabe, were father figures of the frontline states that pushed colonialism, or apartheid colonialism, in the southern tip of Africa to its absolute demise. He believed, like his counterparts in South Africa, the late Oliver Tambo, Walter Sisulu, and Nelson Mandela, that South Africa can only chart a new trajectory of defining its collective prosperity and future destiny, united in diversity through peaceful negotiations. This was demonstrated by the African National Congress resolution at its special national consultative conference in Kabwe, Zambia in 1985. This conference mandated Oliver Tambo and his leadership collective to focus on two strategic priorities. One, the intensification of struggle in all fronts and the preparation of the ANC, a second to eventual prospect of negotiated settlement in South Africa. This facilitation of the peaceful settlement of South Africa's political conflict between the ANC and apartheid white minority regime culminated in the ANC adoption of the 1988 constitutional guidelines, which was later adopted by Organization of African Unity as the Harare Declaration of 1989. The Harare Declaration outlined the conditions under which the African National Congress as a leading mass party of the revolution would enter into negotiated settlement with the South African regime. This declaration, as adopted by Organization of African Unity, was accomplished in the aftermath of the brazen and heroic military battle between the erstwhile apartheid South African Defense Force and the combined forces of Chubans and Angolans at Quito Carnaval. There is no doubt that the Battle of Quito Carnaval will go down the memory lanes of history as amongst decisive factors that led to the liberation of Namibia. For this many generations of South Africa and the entire SADC region will forever be indebted to the Cubans for their international solidarity by challenging the myth of the apartheid military invincibility. Honorable Chairperson, we in the African National Congress stand here today to proclaim without any fear of contradiction that the life and times of Kenneth Kaunda and his generation of African leaders and compatriots will go down in the annals of history as the story of African and international solidarity, the story of African renewal and development, and indeed a shining example of democracy and peace. This is a leader who without any reservations accepted the democratic outcomes of the voices of the Zambian people by stepping down peacefully and respecting the democratically elected government after he lost the elections. This did neither, did neither embittered nor depoliticize Kenneth Gaunda as he continued to play active role in peacemaking, reconstruction and development of Zambia and other parts of Africa. To demonstrate his unflinching commitment to peaceful resolution of South African political conflict, Comrade Gaunda defied the temptations of triumphalism and stood true to his humility. There is no better way to express his humility than what he said after the adoption of the Harare Declaration. 
and the signals by the apartheid regime to enter into peaceful negotiation when he said, and I quote, the ball is now in the Pretoria's court, close quote. To celebrate the life and times of Kenneth Gaunda, without his peers, contemporaries, fellow comrades in arms for Africa's peace, renewal and development will be writing of history with blank pages, which the generation to come will not forgive us. According to history archives, Julius Nyerere adopted more of a statement approach to his interaction with the ANC during the talks about talks. This was demonstrated by deep commitment towards the resolution of the African conflict in the true spirit of cooperation and compromise. There is no better way to describe this than through his own words when he said to Oliver Tambo and the ANC delegation, and I quote, you have not defeated these people. That is why you are negotiating with them. And therefore you have to create necessary space that recognize that this is not a defeated force, close quote. Honorable Deputy Chair, there is no doubt, as documented by historians, the heroic upsurge of anti-colonial movement in many parts of Africa, and the SADC in particular, was catalyst in inspiring the death-defying militancy of the successive generations of oppressed youth of South Africa. These are heroic battles that inspired the heroism of 1976 detachment of Mkondo and the young lions under the leadership of the late Peter Mukaba and Rapumulekan, who shook the apartheid regime through militant mass action. Kenneth Kaunda welcomed the ANC and its young revolutionary Democrats without any hesitation and provided all he could, sometimes at the expense of his own people. As one of our stalwart, Comrade Mac Maharaj recounts, Kaunda never confined them to the camps, but integrated them with the Zambian people. Chairperson, as we celebrate the life and times of this giant of Africa, we as an apex institution of democracy must have our palms on the blood nerve of the African Continental Free Trade Areas Agreement that has been ratified by our country recently. This free trade agreement is among critical continental policy instruments for Africa's renewal, reconstruction and development, which Kenneth Kaunda struggled. In conclusion, allow me to join many others who have expressed their heartfelt condolences to the family of the late KK, his comrades and the people of Zambia. We share the pain, belong to the same past and must dare not fail to construct a common destiny and future in a free and prosperous Africa. Deputy Chair, in conclusion, allow me to quote the verses from one of the revolutionary songs sang during the 1980s in celebration of the heroism of Kenneth Kaunda and his people for their unwavering support to our struggle. That Zambian people, loving people, although you are far from home, we shall miss you and we shall need you for the things you have done for us. Long live the spirit of Kenneth Kaunda, long live. Long live. Long live. Long live. Long live. Thank you, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, honorable members. Before we before we can conclude the oration of condolences, 
Let us first observe a moment of silence in honor of the former president, Comrade KK, Dr. Kenneth Kaunda. Can we just observe a moment of silence? May his revolutionary soul, with the soul of all the dearly departed, rest in eternal peace. Thank you very much to everyone that participated in the oration. It was touching indeed. And it is just a reminder of the, our dark past. But it is also a reflection on the fact that we need to make sure that the future of our children, we also deal with it in the way the late Dr. Kaunda dealt with the fact that he knew that if we don't start today, there won't be a future. Indeed, he gave us a, a, a path to walk on. Let us continue on that path. And thank you very much for the, for the harmony and cohesion that we have observed during this debate. We appreciate that. I also want to appreciate all members, particularly the permanent and special delegates that participated throughout this term. The NCOP was extremely productive during this term. And I think we need to express our appreciation to all the members that made sure that we actually continue being, uh, continue being productive the way we were. We want to express appreciation to the Presidium, but also in particular to our Chief Whip and the Whips that made sure that the NCOP work continued in this, in this term. So members, we know that it is constituency, we know that there is elections coming, but we also request that you take time off and actually give attention to yourselves. Make sure that you relax a bit, that you rest, because we still have a lot that we want to do. And particularly in the time of this pandemic, continue to stay safe, continue to really look after your own health. I can tell you now that we are steaming, we are using interest drops, we are using Turlington, we are using all of those home remedies to make sure that we continue to be able to do what we are supposed to be doing. So, honorable members, please, we don't want to lose more people. We also really want to make sure that we attend to our own health. And really, thank you, honorable Lars Kachni. I cannot conclude this appreciation without appreciation, appreciating our staff under the capable leadership of our secretary to the NCOP. They have made sure that throughout our, particularly the administration and the tech, particularly the technical side of our of our. Uh, operations have been running very smoothly. We must also express appreciation, particularly during this term, to the M to the ministers and the executive of the different uh, provinces that always responded to our call as the NCOP. This is for now the last day of our gatherings, but we know we need to be flexible because we can be called on any time for any uh, uh, important topic.
was something that we need to attend to as the National Council of Provinces. But I must say it is a real pleasure to work with all of you in spite of our differences, but we can, we are able to run this institution with maturity and with the necessary uh, uh, attention and with the necessary commitment. Thank you very much. I don't want to say enjoy your constituency period, but I really want to ask you, make sure that you take time off and attend to yourself. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you very much to the delegates that participated in the business of the day. Let me thank our minister and particularly the special delegates. We never had a, a challenge on getting special delegates from the provinces throughout, although they are here and there, one or two provinces that are not really but are giving us the necessary cooperation, but the chief will address that. But we must say that we have been able to conclude our business up until today. Thank you very much to everyone. The house stands adjourned. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, no. I see uh, honorable China to talk with I see uh, our Maltese professor Joyle Nita.
the two small, small members. Oh, these are. Uh, yes, Advocate, I'm not uh, doing that because I don't have hosting rights at the moment. I was doing it. For it's, moving uh, them on the stage. Okay. Done. 